All right, how's it going, my fellow Americans? Andrew for America here. It's time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I'm recording this on Father's Day. Uh, It's early in the morning. I got my coffee. Uh, Going on vacation in... A few days here, so I felt I would drop this episode today. I'm also going to drop Reality Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics Part 8 here in a couple days, so you guys will have plenty to listen to while I am taking a break from recording new shows. Uh, So in the spirit of it being Father's Day today, and in the spirit of this episode being kind of a personal somewhat revealing who Andrew for America really is. You know, I kind of described the character as my alter ego. You know, my podcast is therapeutic. I feel like I can come do my show in character and express real, true, honest feelings, thoughts, and emotions that maybe I wouldn't feel so comfortable doing in my real personal life in society. (laughs) You know, I've said on the show before that, you know, who I am in character doing the show isn't necessarily who I am in real life. I'm I'm an outgoing, outspoken guy, but probably wouldn't talk so openly about certain topics with just anybody in my day-to-day life. So that's why I come here. And I appreciate those of you that like to come to and listen and maybe learn a little bit about, you know, the world, yourself, um... You know, hearing other people's stories and and thoughts and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's what podcasts uh, are for, in my opinion. And I hope you guys are enjoying my show. Um, so I did a show with Ryan Dean. Uh, it's the reboot of his Conspiracy Break Room uh, episodes. I guess he took a break from a while doing them. And then uh, I was the first person that came to do uh, the reboot of it and... Uh, We had a great time, great conversation. You guys are going to learn a lot about me. Uh, Ryan has a gift of of asking the right questions. And uh, I was pretty honest uh, in this episode. Uh, I may have embellished a little bit about uh, the hazing that went on at the dinner table. But uh, I think that's more of a men thing than a women thing. I don't know, maybe these days women are hazing guys just as much as the, as the men used to. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know, is, it, is hazing even a thing anymore? Me and Ryan kind of talk about that. Um, you know, we need to bring back hazing. Like, we need to bring back messing with people because, you know, there's a sense of humor in it and you learn from it. And, you know, he says, I think it's in this episode, maybe it was a different show, but he says, you know, that's how... I know I like someone like if I'm not if I can't mess with you and poke fun at you then you know we don't what do we how you know what is the level of our relationship like is it surface level is it just all facade you know do we just fall into these societal traps where we're uh, playing a role and portraying something that we think the world expects of us and I know that women feel that way quite a bit, but I don't think uh, people realize, or maybe women don't realize, how much men feel that uh, same feeling, similar feelings, but in very, very different ways. Um, Our suffering is intended to be silent. 
and women's suffering is intended to be um, addressed by the entire community, it seems. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think Chris Rock said it best when he was talking about Father's Day in one of his stand-up specials, and he says, no one gives a fuck about daddy. And that's true. And I'm going to play you guys a poem that is very, very moving. If you're a man, this, this poem is dedicated to all the men out there. Uh, I want you, I'm going to play this a couple times before we get to the interview because I think a lot of people need to hear it. I think a lot of women need to hear it. And I think a lot of men are going to relate to it on a very, very deep level. They might even get a little emotional. So take a listen to this very intelligent poem by a gentleman named T. Sleeveless entitled Teach a Boy to Cry. What up, Philly? My name is T. Sleeveless. The number one hardest thing we all have to do as humans in this world is be subjected to the evil and remain good despite the bullshit we go through. I'm a mental health poet, you know, to double tap on the last two poets. Um, mental health is everything. It don't matter what situation you're in. You could have everything going perfectly fine, your finances, your house, whatever the case may be. If your head is not on straight, nothing else matters, dog. So tonight, I write a lot of mental health poetry. Tonight, I wrote a piece for the men. Um, you know, I, as a man myself, you know, I was subjected to a lot of, like, emotional brutality just growing up. And the hardest realization I came to is that nobody really gives a shit. So um, this is just a piece for the men. This is called Teach a Boy to Cry. People think the deconstruction of a man is some loud, violent occurrence, this outpour of bitterness towards the world, and in reality, the deconstruction of a man is a silent film, a common surgical procedure that the world didn't know it was trained to do. The breaking of a boy is the world's quietest natural disaster. As a man, there is no such thing as being stuck between a rock and a hard place. You either use the stones at rock bottom to build a way out or you get buried by them. Ain't nobody coming to save you. The entire world is trying to construct you into its perfect little image and the people around you are the ones who fuel the process of your manufactured masculinity some of us are going to make it through assembly but we need to watch out for our defective counterparts because the whole world is going to use their flaws to define all of us luckily most defective product is aware of its own shortcomings and tends to destroy itself given enough time alone with its imperfections this abridged explanation of the process is how you become a man or a monster. Everybody knows what a monster does. Everybody judges the monster. Nobody questions its creator. Some of us are manufactured to make light of our peril with jokes, if you will. Male comedians are magicians in this way. How they take their pain and airbrush it into something laughable. He, he, ha, ha. Joke about a failed suicide. The crowd laughs. The curtains close. The comedian drinks all the way home. A man's tears are just funny that way. How they have to be translated to be accepted. How they have to be be transcribed into an art form to be worthy of observation how you have to 
how you have to bleed artistically to become a worthy topic of conversation. Funny how we can joke about a man's misery, but nobody taught the boy to cry. But they taught him how to fight. Nobody tucked him in at night so he doesn't sleep at night. Nobody offers protection to the protectors. Nobody provides, nobody provides the providers with provisions. Nobody looks after the overseer. Nobody has ever tried to guide the man who steers. Everybody judges the weak men. Nobody checks on the strong ones. Only other men know how subtle a difference before the transition. Nobody taught the boy to cry so he would do it at all the wrong times. In the barber chair, getting caskets sharp, remembering the funeral of a failed relationship in the grocery aisle, breaking down because he's weighed down by the tears collecting in his baggage at a soccer game, remembering what it was like to be a boy running towards a goal. Most men, most men will only experience unconditional love from their mothers, and some of us don't even get that. Most of us have never even felt appreciation or respect without conditions or hidden intentions. We don't know what it sounds like to hear, I see you. And I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're here. You really make a difference. Yet the expectation is to constantly be displaying the strength and love that the world is hesitant in conveying. We're expected to have a thick skin but get judged if it turns to a hard shell. The first step in being a man is ignoring the hunger. Because yes, boy, you're going to be starving. Starved of attention. Starved of affirmation. Starved of love. Starved of being told that you are enough. Step two in being a man is comfortability with replaceability. You are only as good as you are useful. You are only as valuable as you are needed by others. Should there ever come a day, boy, where you fail to provide everybody with a smiling face, then do not be surprised when they say all men do is take up space and you are swiftly replaced. Step three in being a man is overcoming your fear of the fire because almost everything you will ever try to build will go up in flames. Relationships, careers, hobbies, and yes, you are always to blame. Step four in being a man is understanding that by the time you finally get all the right answers, these questions will have already changed. <laughs> you might achieve the strength of Herculean fiction, trying to balance the weight of all these contradictions. Be a man, they say. Definition unknown. Description keep changing. We men, so empty, so irritable, so this, so that. We get told where we are so much, we've accepted that who we are ain't even up to us. The blame is always on us regardless. One guilty man's actions requires an innocent man's explanation. Otherwise, you're all guilty by gender association. There are four times as many male suicidal ideation because it's been hammered in our head that we're falling short of our societal expectations. Imagine being in a world of hurt for a hundred different reasons during a nationwide emasculation season. There is a unique brand of sadness that follows being hated without reason. It ain't no secret why over 30% of us have attempted to stop breathing. Nobody even mentions the men who have succeeded. As the saying goes, every failure is one step closer to a successful attempt. There is no such thing as an attempted suicide. A man's soul dies long before his body has a chance to realize. A man with an old soul is just a boy who contemplated going ghost. For every woman that suffers the same fate, four men will follow her to the grave. And I try to hide the stats from the poet because he might romanticize them. He might mistake this tragedy for a love story. He might write a poem in place for the suicide notes that were never left behind because nobody taught him otherwise. So who's going to teach these boys to cry while they're still alive? A man with nothing to lose will view everything as something to take. A child that isn't embraced by the village will burn the village down. And he will stare as everything that didn't love him back contorts and cracks. He will ease his way into the fire.
until he finally feels some warmth. Oh boy, I mean, I, I don't know a man in this world that can't relate to a, a big, big part of that poem. And for those of you that know me and know what's, you know, recently been going on in my life, you know that I can relate to that <laughs> uh, on multiple levels. Um, you know, the deconstruction of a man is a silent film, a surgical procedure that society or the world or whatever doesn't realize it's been trained to do. The demasculating of society. The attack on strong masculine men for nefarious purposes, if I had to guess. This man's struggle that he is expressing through the spoken word speaks to all of us. It should. Because if you can't find a nugget of knowledge and wisdom out of that poem, you might already be a robot, brainwashed, hacked, lemming automaton programmable <laughs> maybe it's already too late but I don't want to start the show off all Debbie Downer I just thought that there was a lot of real honesty in that uh, poem and I you know hashtag stay single <laughs> no I don't want to be a complete pessimist and anti-dating and anti-marriage and all that kind of stuff I, I don't want to you know, I want to believe that stuff still exists and that things are still sacred in this world. I'm probably a romantic idealist, obviously, when I say that. But, you know, that's how I've made it through. You know, I've been through all of those struggles and trials and tribulations that that gentleman just got done uh, talking about in that poem. And I think the way that I personally have gotten out of it is... I've never accepted anybody else's opinion of me with, I've never given it more value than the opinion of myself that I give to myself. When I was younger, I remember saying, God, Andrew, you're, you know, I remember people saying, you know, God, you're so sure of yourself. Like you, you can come off as cocky or conceited. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not trying to be, you know, the coolest you know, best, whatever. I'm not trying to go ego route. Maybe when I was younger, there's a little bit of that when I was in my band days, but really I've always just wanted to be better tomorrow than I was today in every possible way, but not just be better in like the successful financial uh, frame of reference. Although, you know, some money is always nice, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, I've always wanted to know what's really going on. I've always wanted to know the truth. I've always wanted to understand. I've always wanted to understand why women are the way that they are, why men are the way that they are. You know, what has happened to us that makes us 
interact in the ways that we do and how different the ways that men and when uh, men and women acted towards each other and in, in the past throughout history has been different uh, a, lo- a lot of social conditioning and culture is involved and I feel like one of the sad aspects of our culture today is you know the lack of love and the cho- the, cho- uh, the I'm sorry the choosing of fear over love and you guys have heard me say that a million times and the ability to choose love over fear requires courage people it requires trials and tribulations it requires the learning of lessons and the building of principles so that we can determine what is virtuous and valuable for everyone it requires risk I know people are so scared of putting themselves out there in the dating world. Uh, You know, then a lot of people are so scared of being alone that they settle for someone that they can't stand living with eventually. And the whole institution of marriage, I mean, from a religious aspect, I love the, you know, the romantic idea, but from a realistic, (laughs) uh, cultural, social perspective, uh, huge, huge, huge pro- uh, problems. When you involve the legal system, uh, things get really, really bad. And th- how the legal system goes after men in many, many ways is a goddamn travesty. Uh, it is a tragedy upon this earth that the morality and the legality of things in the eyes of the law and the government is nowhere near (laughs) similar and that's a whole nother podcast i'm not going to get into that but william butler yates once said education is not the filling of a pail it is the lighting of a fire and that struggle that that quest that drive the fire that is lit inside of some of us, not all of us, you know, it just keeps burning and burning and burning. And, you know, I think I haven't really become the monster that a lot of men do become in their lives because uh, I was lucky enough to be able to learn how to deal with my emotions. I was raised by two amazing women. And I think that set the example for me. I can, I can, you know, juggle both worlds better than most guys. I think, um, I'm an emotional guy. I cry all the time. Anyone that knows me knows. (laughs) Uh, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'll still punch you right in the fucking mouth. If you deserve it, I got no problem defending myself at all. So, you know, that's what being a man is. Being a monster, but willingly keeping it under control. You break out the wolf when you need the wolf. But you try to remain the puppy dog, right? (laughs) Whatever. So, you know what? Hats off to all you men out there, especially you fathers. 
that in the face of no one giving a fuck about your hard work and toil every single day of your life, I see you. I'm proud of you. The world needs more of you. Real motherfucking men. We're a dying breed, people. Ladies, I know you've been listening to all these podcasts with these panels of women sitting down with some dude or couple dudes, and they're just breaking down how men think to you, and a lot of you are like, oh my God, these guys are such douchebags. You know, what a bunch of pieces of shit. I saw this one girl say, you know, you you guys have had the patriarchy for so long. You've had power for so long. Like, I don't care if you all die and wither away. You know, some young little stupid girl that doesn't know shit about the world yet feels that way. I don't know if she really feels that way or if just society is telling people to feel that way. But I think that there is a societal component. I think there is a created by design component. I think it's one of the many methods that the people are kept under the thumb of the all-powerful, omnipotent government. But anyway, that was I kind of got off track there. What I wanted to say about these podcaster guys, ladies, you're right. Some of them are little children, egotistical, narcissistic maniacs. Maybe there is a little boy inside that was never taught how to cry, you know, like T. Sleeveless said in his amazing poem. And, you know, he says in that poem, how do you teach a boy to cry while he's still alive? Man. Man. You know what I'm saying? So I always say I love you guys on the show. I always say take care of each other out there. We need each other. Regardless of what your ideas on gender and, you know, gender roles and, you know, stay-at-home dads and women in the workforce making more money than a lot of you dudes... Yeah, you know, I don't know what we're going to do about it. I don't know how to solve the problem. I just wanted to pause and reflect, observe, and report. That's how I keep my sanity in this world. Through creative, artistic ventures. And I feel even that is going away. So I'm pleading with you people. Keep your love of the arts Keep your love of music. Keep your love of comedy. Keep your love of expression. Free speech, free thought, and free expression. Teach yourself how to stop being such a fucking judgmental piece of shit, hypocritical asshole to everybody. Just because you can't look in the fucking mirror and accept the cesspool of a human being that you see looking back at you. I know that there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there, but I'm here to tell you there's a lot of toxic femininity (laughs) out there in this world as well. And I don't think you can be described as a real-ass woman if you don't acknowledge accept and understand that both men and women get judged by the shittiest behavior of us so that's why we need to teach each other we need to lift each other up 
And I think that's somewhat easy for guys. I know it's very, very difficult for you women. I feel like women are more cutthroat towards one another than guys are. And that's just the difference between men and women, I guess. But, you know, I'm trying... I'm trying not to be, like I said, I'm trying not to be pessimistic. I'm trying to be optimistic. I don't want to lose my faith in uh, dating and relationships. But it is looking (laughs) dark, bleak, and hopeless out there. Anybody that's ever spent some time on an online dating site knows exactly (laughs) what I am talking about. Uh, They're trying to keep us apart, people. They're trying to keep us separate. It's divide and conquer. There's a bigger purpose. There's a larger agenda. There is a reason. Our culture functions in the way that it does. And it takes the few. It takes the strong. It takes the courageous. It takes the intellectually curious and intellectually honest amongst us to try to understand, try to be empathetic. And ladies, goddammit, try to take ownership of your behavior. You cannot be a monster to a man and then go play the victim without, if you can do that, and not have a moral dilemma, then you might be a piece of shit. You know, I've heard the Fiona Apple song. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You've been a bad, bad girl. You've been uh, careless with a delicate man. And it's a sad, sad world when a girl can break a boy just because she can. Men, gentlemen, That's how a lot of these modern-day women operate. I love you ladies so much. I really want to have faith in you. But I'm losing faith, ladies. Maybe someone can teach me how to get that faith back. I'll never give up total hope. But for the moment, in the meantime... In the between time, in the words of Chris Jericho, I'm staying single, and I'm going to work on me. I'm going to build me again. I'm going to become the phoenix rising from the fire and the burning ashes. Something has to die to be reborn. And that's what life's all about to me, my fellow Americans. We are in a transitional period, historically speaking. I feel like you ladies are confused by the whole feminism movement. I think a lot of you are blinded by the wokeism agenda. And of all of the qualities that you think you need to have in this world. You want to understand men. You want to understand why men are such pieces of shit. You have these highly idealized um, expectations of the perfect man. 
and your perfect man probably consists of 3% of the population. And that's sad. It sucks that you have, you know, you feel like you have slim pickings out there, in the words of Chelsea Handler. <laughs> you know, I feel for you ladies. I know there's a lot of beta boys out there. Uh, I, I heard this woman once, uh, one time say, um, it sucks that the only real men are conservative men. She's a liberal. She wants to date liberal men. She says there's no liberal men that have the qualities that I'm looking for in a partner. And that's the double-edged sword. You can't have your cake and eat it too, people. <laughs> so men, maybe raise your standards a little bit. And ladies, maybe don't lower your standards, but choose your standards based on educated perspective and not some narcissistic, egotistical, I am God's gift to men mentality that a lot of you stupid fucking chicken heads have. I'm sorry. Just cluck, cluck, clucking out there, wondering why nobody wants to fucking talk to you. <laughs> you know? I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want to bash women. There are great, great, great women out in this world. And hats off to you for taking care of those good, great, strong men. And ladies... You know, you can say that there's no good men left and you can take absolutely no responsibility in the reason why that occurred. Dave Chappelle, chivalry's dead and women killed it. And that's the truest thing you ladies will ever hear. And if you don't like that and it makes you feel uncomfortable that men feel that way, probably time to take a look in the mirror and be honest about who you are, be honest about your behavior, take ownership of the trail of terror and destruction that you have left for some of we men. Because if you can't do that, you don't deserve a good man. You don't deserve it. You deserve to be alone, childless, hopeless, sad, and pathetic. And to all of you men out there that have given up, and now you are that deadbeat dad, now you are that asshole to women, you know, you got to get better, guys. You got to look in the mirror too. You got to figure out what it is that holds you up with the opposites, uh, the opposite sex. A lot of you guys are creepy as fuck. I see it every single day behind the bar. Like, you give me the creeps, and you're not even talking to me. You know, imagine how the girl feels. <laughs> you know? Just think about this stuff, people. It takes two to tango. If you want a life partner, if you want a relationship, not just a... Uh, romantic relationship but just any relationship with people if you want relationships to thrive if you want friends if you want to be a part of a friend group you know you're gonna to have to take a look in the mirror and you're gonna to have to figure out what it is about you that you don't like and you're gonna to have to figure out what it is about you that other people don't like about you and in that self Reflection in that dive into looking deeply at yourself, analyzing your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, honestly. 
you will find knowledge, wisdom, and information. You will move ever closer on your quest from ignorance towards knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And in the spirit of learning, growing, becoming more rational, more logical, more lovable, more empathetic, more cooperative, more pragmatic. You know, take a listen to this poem again, ladies, you especially. We men can relate to a lot of this. And I think you women have a lot to learn from listening to T. Sleeveless. Read this poem to you one more time, entitled, Teach a Boy to Cry. What up, Philly? My name is T. Sleeveless. The number one hardest thing we all have to do as humans in this world is be subjected to the evil and remain good despite the bullshit we go through. I'm a mental health poet, you know, to double tap on the last two poets. Um, mental health is everything. It don't matter what situation you're in. You could have everything going perfectly fine, your finances, your house, whatever the case may be. If your head is not on straight, nothing else matters, dog. So tonight, I write a lot of mental health poetry. Tonight, I wrote a piece for the men. Um, you know, I, as a man myself, you know, I was subjected to a lot of, like, emotional brutality just growing up. And the hardest realization I came to is that nobody really gives a shit. So, um... This is just a piece for the men. This is called Teach a Boy to Cry. People think the deconstruction of a man is some loud, violent occurrence, this outpour of bitterness towards the world. And in reality, the deconstruction of a man is a silent film, a common surgical procedure that the world didn't know it was trained to do. The breaking of a boy is the world's quietest natural disaster. As a man, there is no such thing as being stuck between a rock and a hard place. You either use the stones at rock bottom to build a way out or you get buried by them. Ain't nobody coming to save you. The entire world is trying to construct you into its perfect little image and the people around you are the ones who fuel the process of your manufactured masculinity some of us are going to make it through assembly but we need to watch out for our defective counterparts because the whole world is going to use their flaws to define all of us luckily most defective product is aware of its own shortcomings and tends to destroy itself given enough time alone with its imperfections this abridged explanation of the process is how you become a man or a monster. Everybody knows what a monster does. Everybody judges the monster. Nobody questions its creator. Some of us are manufactured to make light of our peril, with jokes, if you will. Male comedians are magicians in this way, how they take their pain and airbrush it into something laughable. He, he, ha, ha, joke about a failed suicide. The crowd laughs, the curtains close, the comedian drinks all the way home. A man's tears are just funny that way. How they have to be translated to be accepted. How they have to be transcribed into an art form to be worthy of observation. How you have to... How you have to bleed artistically to become a worthy topic of conversation. Funny how we can joke about a man's misery, but nobody taught the boy to cry. 
but they taught him how to fight. Nobody tucked him in at night, so he doesn't sleep at night. Nobody offers protection to the protectors. Nobody provides, nobody provides the providers with provisions. Nobody looks after the overseer. Nobody has ever tried to guide the man who steers. Everybody judges the weak men. Nobody checks on the strong ones. Only other men know how subtle a difference before the transition. Nobody taught the boy to cry, so he would do it at all the wrong times. In the barber chair, getting caskets sharp, remembering the funeral of a failed relationship in the grocery aisle, breaking down because he's weighed down by the tears collecting in his baggage at a soccer game, remembering what it was like to be a boy running towards a goal. Most men, most men will only experience unconditional love from their mothers, and some of us don't even get that. Most of us have never even felt appreciation or respect without conditions or hidden intentions. We don't know what it sounds like to hear, I see you, and I'm proud of you, I'm glad you're here. You really make a difference, yet the expectation is to constantly be displaying the strength and love that the world is hesitant in conveying. We're expected to have a thick skin but get judged if it turns to a hard shell. The first step in being a man is ignoring the hunger, cause yes boy you gonna be starving. Starved of attention, starved of affirmation, starved of love, starved of being told that you are enough. Step two in being a man is comfortability with replaceability. You are only as good as you are useful. You are only as valuable as you are needed by others. Should there ever come a day, boy, where you fail to provide everybody with a smiling face, then do not be surprised when they say all men do is take up space and you are swiftly replaced. Step three in being a man is over overcoming your fear of the fire because almost everything you will ever try to build will go up in flames relationships careers hobbies and yes you are always to blame step four and being a man is understanding that by the time you finally get all the right answers these questions will have already changed <laughs> you might achieve the strength of herculean fiction trying to balance the weight of all these contradictions be a man they say definition unknown description keep changing mm, we men mm, mm. so empty so irritable so this so that we get told what we we are so much we've accepted that who we are ain't even up to us mm. the blame is always on us regardless one guilty man's actions requires an innocent man's explanation otherwise you're all guilty by gender association there are four times as many male suicidal ideation because it's been hammered in our head that we're falling short of our societal expectations Imagine being in a world of hurt for a hundred different reasons during a nationwide emasculation season. There is a unique brand of sadness that follows being hated without reason. It ain't no secret while over 30% of us have attempted to stop breathing. Nobody even mentions the men who have succeeded. As the saying goes, every failure is one step closer to a successful attempt. There is no such thing as an attempted suicide. A man's soul dies long before his body has a chance to realize. A man with an old soul is just a boy who contemplated going ghost. For every woman that suffers the same fate, four men will follow her to the grave. And I try to hide the stats from the poet because he might romanticize them. He might mistake this tragedy for a love story. He might write a poem in place for the suicide notes that were never left behind because nobody taught him otherwise. So who's going to teach these boys to cry while they're still alive? A man with nothing to lose will view everything as something to take. A child that isn't embraced by the village will burn the village down. And he will stare as everything that didn't love him back contorts and cracks. He will ease his way into the fire until he finally feels some warmth.
Boy, a round of applause for T Sleeveless. And ladies, if you don't understand all of that, if you don't get it, then there's a good chance you don't deserve a good man. And to all you ladies that listen to that poem, understand it, uh, realize your role in a relationship with a good man, what it should be, turns out I'm available. (laughs) Call me. Let's turn up the optimism and the fun. Let's hit a commercial, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Norwegian lutefisk fish pudding, cocktails, bartending, my band days, a lot of fun stuff that I did with Ryan Dean from the amazing, legendary, Dangerous World podcast. We talk about punk rock and cool toys we had as young children. Uh, This conversation goes all over the place, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. I'll be right back. Alright people, welcome back to the show Wow, that was kind of a heavy first segment um, I swear to God I didn't want it to be that Debbie Downer it Kind of got dark there But um, You know Poetry man Takes me places And uh, I feed off that energy sometimes When I'm doing a segment So um, I'm actually not suicidal And I'm actually in really good mental health And good spirits uh, I don't want to give anyone the impression in the previous segment that uh, I'm going through some things. Uh, I recently went through some things and came out of it better, stronger, faster. So more engaged, more aware. Uh, took the punches on the chin like a man. And now I'm rebuilding uh, from the rubble. And I just think that's what living is. Never stop, never stop. And Uh, All right, here we go. Hope you guys enjoy this episode of Conspiracy Break Room from the Dangerous World podcast feed with Mr. Ryan Dean. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the show is back. The show that like half of you like, it seems like. Some people like it. (laughs) I got a few negative reviews because... It seems like people, you know, thought that, you know, this conspiratorial show is now talking about their favorite fast food establishments, right? Got a few one-star reviews oh, because of that. Oh, God. You know, I, I mean, you can't you can't please everybody. So we're out here just trying to please ourselves, if you know what I mean. <sighs> yeah. But I'm excited to do this again, man. You know, this, this uh, you know, conspiracy break room, as I've been calling it, has been on a hiatus. And, you know, lately just kind of been hanging out, doing the normal stuff, talking about MMA and conspiracies, right? Yeah. Food obviously comes up every episode for me. But, um, you know, I, I thought that it would be really cool, you know, since we do the Monday Night Master Debaters every week. I'm lucky enough to be a part of that with Matt. And he had on a good buddy, a good podcasting friend, somebody that I'd really like to meet in person someday, hopefully. 
uh, you know, money willing, God willing, all these things need to fall into place for it to work out. But he is the host of Politics and Punk Rock. Okay, this is a great podcast. This is Andrew for America, a good dude. It seems like, uh, I mean, dude, you just you you bought a shirt from me too, man. Like you're really you're buttering me up here, and I'm liking it. You know what <laughs> I mean? Um, what's going on with you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I think you know that. I feel like I uh, solo. Uh, out of absolute freaking nowhere reached out to you uh, because I had discovered your show and liked your show way before, like it was before I even started my show before I even knew you through Matt and like, we got to talking through all that kind of stuff. So and I remember you pointed that out on one of the, um, it might've been the 4th of July show that we did together. And I was like, yeah, man, I did reach out to you. And uh, so, yeah, man, I appreciate it. You know, here I am going into my third year now and I feel like I know you and Matt on a personal level from all the chatting that we've done. And it's just awesome to see things come full circle and, and, and full spectrum. As soon as you dive in with both feet into some type of, you know, hobby that turns into maybe an entrepreneurial venture. And all of a sudden you start getting some uh, constructive feedback from artistic people that say you're doing a good job and it just fuels the fire, man. So I'm glad that I reached out to you a few years back and then we got to chat and I uh, got to know each other and kindred spirits, baby. I love it. That's what it's all about, dude. And that's what it's all about. And I just oh, realized yeah. like a, like a real rookie, uh, you know, believe it or not, I had a few to drink here and I, I uh, had my computer plugged in, but <laughs> not my microphone. So my microphone is plugged in now should be sounding a lot better, but what are you sipping on over there? I see that you usually, you, you tend to do what I like to do, which is usually drink while you're recording. And I like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. You know, lightens lightens up the tenseness if I'm not really ready for, you know, sometimes I got to get in the fucking zone to do a certain like some shows are easy. Other shows that I'm really passionate about and I know I can't rant and get too far off topic within a certain right. time frame. Um, I'll kind of keep it cool and I'll be like, OK, this is a focused research show. I need to be pro in this one. But then I got other ones where I'm like, nah, I, I want to kind of. I have a topic in my head that's bothering me. And then if I have a couple beers, I'll get in full Andrew for America, uh, alter ego mode I like it. and, and go full blown. So that's kind of how I, you know, kind of do my thing. Yeah. Appreciate it. What are you sipping on there today? Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot to tell you. So I got a 24 pack from Costco of various pale ale and IPAs from Sierra Nevada brewing in Chico, California. Oh, and nice. uh, big fan of their beers. Yeah. So uh, uh, I don't know which IPA this is, but it's one of their uh, variety packs. You just Costco. grabbed one out of there and and uh, grabbed one away. <laughs> yeah. So so, dude, that's a that's a great first thing to kind of get into here. I know that you work at a bar restaurant type situation, right? This is your your full time job, right? Yep. Now career bartender. Yep. So you're a bartender, right? Yep. Career. Okay. Yep. 20 nice. plus years now. Yep. Did you go to school or did you get like the experience through the, the workplace? Nope. So um, I started in the service industry uh, in San Diego, California, uh, probably like two years after I got out of the military. I was doing customer service for car dealerships in a cubicle job for oh a shit hourly rate for my first year out. And I was like, okay. You know, you got to go to college. I got my GI Bill. I'm going to go at some point. But I was fucking off. And my band was getting shows at the time. And I was having delusions of rock stardom. 
in my possible future uh at my young romantic you know 20s right right and and um after my military service i was kind of like you know what go for it like chase your dream first if you fail there's a hundred other things you can do so that's what i did and uh things went well um it was awesome so the bartending thing though so after i did the customer service i got into serving I, uh, my first service industry job was security actually at dave and busters <laughs> in san diego yep and uh i worked my way into waiting tables there and that was kind of my first in and then served around the city at various places and then one day uh, i got a job bar backing at a nightclub called aubergine and anyone that's uh old school like me from the 90s early 2000s generation the service industry everybody knows about aubergine san diego and uh i was waiting tables at a greek restaurant at the time i just got off a shift it was like nine o'clock at night and my buddy adam that has actually been on my show uh, his name is adam the first man is his uh stage name on my show right right but uh he's the guy that got my foot in the door he called me and he said hey man we didn't have a bar back tonight uh i know you don't know shit but just show up and bust your ass and you might have a job on tuesday and so i was like instead of going home and crying like a little bitch like oh god i just got off a shift can we reschedule for some other day i was like no this is opportunity knocking you gotta jump on it now suck it up so i jumped on it and it was one of the most fun experiences of my life i was like holy shit i'm on staff at a fucking nightclub there's beautiful women around me everywhere there's fucking music bumping this is heaven right like who doesn't want to do this right and uh following tuesday i got a call from the gm she said you want a bar back here and i said absolutely and uh that's how i got started so then i started bar back in over the course of two three years uh the bar manager there used to put me in what's called the third well where as soon as if I had a lull in the night where the bartending or the bar backing um, duties were fulfilled for a brief moment, then they actually gave me my own well so I could kind of walk up and take guests and just kind of get comfortable with being a bartender. Right. And and I had been learning drinks and shots through the bar manager. Like we used to cover like one drink a shift. So like I'd come in, I'd be like, what is it tonight? He would be like Washington Apple, you know, Crown Peach cranberry or whatever it was you know i think that's fucking recipe it's been a long time (laughs) since i made mixed shots uh but that's how i started man i just started learning the 20 most ordered shots and cocktails everything else is easy you know vodka tonic vodka soda jack coke everything's just spirit um mixer Mixer, right right and so then you start to realize that throughout the course of a typical shift throughout the course of a week where you've seen what happens on each day, you kind of know what is the average of what people order. And so that's when you're like, okay, I can bartend now because what gets ordered that's tough to make and difficult and top level bartender, craft cocktail, all that kind of shit really gets ordered maybe 20% of your shift. Right. Cause they're expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and, and only a certain kind of guest and you learn this later, but only a certain kind of guest is looking for that. And you can identify them as you get better at bartending now real quick before you move on past that is it someone in your opinion or your experience that is like they're going out for an occasion or like what are the types of people for sure order these like birthday girls and shit like that right yeah oh yeah so um female 
birthday parties, bachelorette right. parties, um, maybe even baby showers earlier in the day. Who knows? Or like maybe like a like a couple that's going on a date for the first time or some shit like that. And you can you can pick up like that Tinder date vibe oh, for sure. as a bartender, oh, yeah. right? Like oh, you can yeah. tell like these, these I've seen two. count I could write a book just on Tinder date stories from okay. bartending. Oh, for sure. But um yeah, you can kind of it, it takes time, but you can kind of discover it like, okay, these this is a couple that are just out for dinner. This is a group of girls that wants to party. This is an older couple that really wants to talk to and get to know the person at the restaurant because they're regulars and they're going to come there all the time. They want to feel comfortable with the same person. These are the kind of people that request the same server everywhere they go, you know? Right, right. So that, yeah, you kind of, you get all makes and models of humanity in the service industry. So for sure, dude, for yeah, sure. Freelance, freelance psychology, sociology, <laughs> et cetera. Hell yeah. So are you one of these dudes that that your your job kind of defines you? And I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way at all. I think it's actually a really good thing when people's jobs define them. Like that's like, you know, Andrew the bartender or or oh, for are sure. you, are, you well, are I self Oh yeah, I self-identify as a barman uh, top to bottom. Like I've I've uh, I've written cocktail menus for places before. I've I've done consulting. I've worked in every kind of venue casino craft cocktail bar and grill um comedy club i was the floor manager for american comedy company for a while got a lot of stories from that place oh boy oh oh boy that's fucking awesome Um, yeah so i've kind of done everything in the service industry and and so yeah and it's it does define me because i've chosen this path for better or for worse and um some of the best experience like i feel like i've lived lives i've lived a life that a lot of people don't ever get to even scratch the surface of, but I've also sacrificed a lot of things that I should, you know, that there are places I should probably be in life at my age now that I sacrificed for the thrill. You talking financially? No, not financially. I mean, as far as like career, like, 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 well, maybe, Oh, I guess financially in that respect, but I'm saying like, you know, I'm, I've jumped around to opportunities and, you know, (laughs) Uh, just wanted to live life more yeah. than like, oh, hey, let me get a structured right, salaried, right. you know, all that kind of stuff. So Some stable like, bullshit in a cubicle, right? I mean, like that's right. you got out of that shit. And it I sounds like do you it. literally lived three lives already. You know what I mean? You you were a you were a musician. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that you were in the military. Uh, so that's yeah. I mean, that's a career right there. And then mm-hmm. it, that's a second thing with the, the music. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you found your passion, which is you know, in the service industry. And it's not for everybody, dude. I used to do that shit. Hard hard fucking work, man. I hate it, dude. I hate it. So like (laughs) a lot of people do. I, I, I think that it's really cool when somebody can do something like that and enjoy it because it can be very lucrative, dude. Like there's servers and bartenders that make quarter million dollars a year, believe it or not, in some places, right? Not everywhere. And that's the pigeonhole is because, you know, I, I mean, let me, let me give you like this, this, let this story, let my story right now that I'm about to briefly run by you be a lesson for literally anybody listening to this. Okay. I grew up in a family where everyone went to the military, every man in my family, step, step family and biological mom, family, military guys. Right. Okay. So it was a no brainer. I was in the delayed entry program for the Navy a year before I even graduated from high school. Like my, my path was set. Right. But then throughout 
my four years in the Navy, I did two Western Pacific deployments. I, I've seen the world. I saw the world before I could legally drink in the United oh, States of America. I'd been all over the world before that. My 21st birthday was in Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> you know a good, that's a good time right there. Not bad. I bet you had not, some fun. Yeah, not a bad memory, right? But yeah, that life. So when I got out of the military, it was like, go back to rural Minnesota where I came from or stay in this paradise on earth, America's finest city known as San Diego, California, where I had already started a band while in the Navy and I was playing one. I was still in the military. And by the time I got out, I had a GI bill to go to college and I had a band that was getting shows on the sunset strip in LA. Mm. Why would I go back to Minnesota right now? Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. I was like, this is opportunity knocking, like take it. Right. And, um, never made it to the big time and in retrospect i'm glad i didn't because i probably would have had to sold my soul at some point actually i have a story about that the closest i ever got to getting signed was interesting (laughs) did somebody did somebody ask you to suck their dick was that what it was no it wasn't it didn't get to that level but it was i I remember being looked at like like a piece of meat like my whole band was just like looked at like what can you know they just look like sinister fucking people were talking about what they were going to do with you kind of thing. What is this band <laughs> called, by the way, since we so we don't have to refer to it as the band? Oh, yeah. So I've been in multiple bands. So my uh, first bigger band that had management and was getting getting looked at by labels uh, was called The Perils of Being. And, is there music uh, that we can still find today? Oh, yeah. we. I'm up on iTunes, Spotify, all over. I, I have a SoundCloud page that I promote all the time soundcloud.com of being okay yeah sorry go ahead yep the perils of being like being like human being yeah b-e-i-n-g okay and And you're about to plug it go ahead sorry i stepped on that oh no it's okay so um on my show i always say soundcloud.com slash andrew for america 1984 is the link and that's where i have the majority of the music i've ever done professionally posted and not professionally even some of my old my own uh, acoustic shittily recorded originals are up there so you can find all my stuff there uh, there's a few songs that i've recorded that i haven't posted yet but i will eventually so don't so that was the first band and that was the band that um um peter de stefano guitarist for porno for pyros with um uh who's the Lollapalooza founder guy perry farrell lead singer Porno for Byron. So their guitar player, Peter DiStefano, was the guy that, excuse me, my old band manager, John Weaver, the late great John Weaver, um, pitched us to or had us pitch to uh this label called Sanctuary Records. And uh, I had a couple of meetings in LA with Peter DiStefano from Porno for Pyros, and he's a great guy. He wasn't involved in the weird shit I was talking about earlier. Um <laughs> didn't pan out over time yeah i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything but he was he actually went to bat for my band there was other stuff going on in the background that was kind of happening simultaneously as all this stuff was and um i found out that my old manager john was into some shit that i didn't realize and that actually led to in a weird way his untimely death so yeah crazy hollywood story i had for a brief three four years of my life out in california <laughs> yeah I mean, it's pretty epic, dude. I mean, it, it it's obviously, you know, I want to get into some of that band stuff because 
you mentioned like just kind of briefly one story that sounded kind of interesting, right? So I want to get yeah. into that for sure. But I want to okay. go back a little bit to your bartending stuff, right? Like, sure. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure that you get this asked this question all the time. What is the like your favorite cocktail to make? Like if if somebody comes in there <laughs> and let's say it. maybe yeah. it's like, are you single? <laughs> I'm single now. Yeah. OK, <laughs> no, I'm not asking for myself. I'm just saying, well, you know, I <laughs> yeah. I'm saying like, you know, if there's a girl that comes in or a woman that comes in, she's kind of attractive and, and she's kind of hitting on you a little bit. Right. And right. she's like, hey, Andrew, can you make me something? That, you know, like, what what would you recommend? And I'm going to pull this thing up and see if I can uh, find a good image of it. But what is this cocktail that you would go to? Uh, you probably won't be able to pull up an image of it because it's one for our my specific establishment. But the Asian pear martini is quite popular with the ladies. It sounds and, sexy. And it is pear vodka is the base. Uh, Domaine de Canton ginger liqueur a french liqueur is the mixer i guess you could say okay. and then and then lime juice and you could add uh like a sage leaf or some type of herbaceous garnish or Maybe a nice could, little lime zest yeah just like that lime zest would work perfectly for this cocktail because there's lime juice in the cocktail and i personally like to garnish with something that is actually an ingredient in the cocktail. Some places don't do that. There are places where your garnish will be a cherry and there's nothing cherry whatsoever in the cocktail. Right, right, right. Unless it's an old fashioned or a uh, Manhattan, then you've got to have a cherry in there. Well, right. Manhattan more so than old fashioned. Cause some people don't like cherry in their old fashioned. So depends. There's an Asian pair. There's a couple you're passing there. Yeah. This one here. Okay. That one's got brandy in it, but. You, but see, again, you can, uh, most craft cocktails are going to have your mm, liquor nice. base. So, you know, vodka, gin, bourbon, whatever. Then it's going to have one or two mixers, flavored mixers, something sweet, probably something bitter. Um, and you kind of want to, the flavor prof, profile is acid base, sweet, bitter. So you need those four components in any craft cocktail if you want it to be good. For sure. It's similar to making a sauce, like a steak sauce. You need very similar. I, I learned I a lot it... of my cooking skills from bartending, actually. Yep. Flavor profiling and right. how to do stuff like that. Yep. If Sauces. I'm remembering correctly, a, a, a good sauce for meat needs a base, you know, something like a mayo, if you want to be real trashy, some some kind of base, a yep. citrus, right? So that's your second, like lemon. Just for sure. Yep. A spice, maybe some hot sauce, maybe yep. like actual pepper, an herb, an and herb. then. Help me out with the fifth one. Uh, acid. Did you get acid in there? No, I didn't. Acid, right. acid base, Citrus. sweet bitter is the four. That's like the the cross. Okay. Yeah. Acid dude, base, I, sweet bitter. Yep. That that's once you start figuring that kind of stuff out, you can take like ingredients in your refrigerator and just make some good shit. Oh, absolutely. Like I I like to experiment with different kinds of vinegar: sherry vinegar, balsamic vinegar straight up white vinegar, rice vinegar, um, apple cider vinegar, depending on how you put things together with the right vinegar you can make. Uh, they say that acid is the backbone. They say that the acid is the most important component component of any cocktail or any flavor profile for sauces as well. Now, do you make a lot of your own food at your house, like on your downtime? Yeah, I cook quite a bit at my house for myself. Yep. You got a specialty? Yeah, man. You know what I've been doing lately? what mango or pineapple salsa 
Okay. With, like Pico de Gallo style, like chunky. Like Pico, yep. Yep. Okay. Pico de Gallo style. Um, uh, and what I'll put in it is, if if it's got a if it's got a mango or a pineapple salsa, I I go red onion over white onion. Okay. Like a like a regular pico would have white onion. I wouldn't do red onion. Uh cilantro's required. Uh I'll do bell pepper, tomato, and I'll do tahini. I like tahini and salt and pepper together. <laughs> good shit. And tahine's for those of nice. you that don't tahini's good. It's like a chili lime seasoning, Mexican seasoning. It's fucking delicious. So do you yeah, like like chamoy and th- shit like that? Have you fucked around with that? I mean, you're in San Diego, right? So like, yeah, yeah is- that's what I'm saying. Like I, that, I, I got really into Mexican cuisine living in San Diego for sure. A lot of I, I use a lot of ancho and guajillo chilies, chipotle. Okay. I'll make mo. I've attempted to make mole a couple times. So oh, it's tacos, rough, huh? tacos. Oh, mole is tough, dude. Yeah. The tamarind. Like so, like my buddy told me that if your mole doesn't have tamarind in it, you're fucking up. And then I tried it, and I was like, "Shit, you're right." <laughs> <laughs> dude, I've never gotten into mole, dude. For those that don't know, it's kind of like a chocolate, almost like a barbecue sauce mixed with chocolate. Yep, almost, it's right? like ancho, and the ancho chili and the chocolate is is necessary. It's got to be in there. Yep, <sighs> I've never gotten into it, dude. That's so one of those good. Things. It's like so, a three hour process, man. It's it's in depth. I mean, sure. three hours is being generous, dude. I, I remember, dude. Yeah, the- you're right. There was a lady that came down that was a, a cousin to my grandma mm-hmm. and she made mole and it took, I swear to God, like 18 hours for this lady to make. Oh, it. yeah. I was traditional shit is like a day thing. Yeah, you're yeah right. it was wild. Yep. And and no one liked it. You know what I mean? Because she was very Mexican, like barely <laughs> spoke English. And, uh, you know, my grandma, you know, she's from Mexico. I think she was born in Mexico City. So, right. you know, the, the shit that they make there now, to be fair. The food that we make here that's Mexican is very Americanized, right? It's like fusion food almost always. Most right? places, not the southwestern United States, yes. Because yeah, but you, I mean, you you're not finding like uh, you know, brain tacos at most of your restaurants out here, right? Which is the shit Correct. that they're actually eating in like, you know, Mexico, Sonora. Oh yeah. Um oh, yeah. do you get into that stuff? Do you get into like traditional Mexican food? Like I'll I'll start with this. Do you like menudo? I love menudo. I had menudo menudo before. Delicious. It's I don't go that far in. It's like for me, I eat the like I'm such a creature of habit when it comes to food. Like I'll make salsa, I'll make shrimp, chicken, and steak with something. I'll have tortillas. I'll have a sauce. I'll have avocado. I'll make guacamole. So it is kind of an Americanized Tex-Mex thing, I guess. But that's just like what I normally make for myself. And when I want to adventure into really making something like a mole that like i'll plan a day around trying to do it so i don't fuck it up you know right 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 okay i like it i like it now let me ask you this um do you have a desert island cocktail like if you are only allowed to have one cocktail for the rest of your life you can mix it up with beer you can have like a beer but if you could only have one cocktail for the rest of your life what would it be would it be something simple would it be something crazy where are you going with that old-fashioned i respect that I respect yeah, yeah. it. Are we going rye or are we going bourbon? Where are we going with that on the on the whiskey? I'm a bourbon guy. I like rye old fashions. Depends on what you put in it with uh, the bitters and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I used to make a seasonal old fashioned at one of my old jobs. So every three months, like every quarter, every season, I would switch up some. I would switch up like the whole vibe. So like you can like blueberry bitters with you know garnish with the blueberry or. Mm-hmm. You can do maple and orange, or uh, I made a cherry hazelnut bitters one time 
and used it with just like honey or something like that as the sweet component. There's so old fashioned, any spirit forward cocktail where, you know, 75% of the cocktail is the spirit. Right. You can play with, 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 cause so they say that bitters is like salt and pepper for cocktails and you can make all different kinds of bitters. The most popular bitters is Angostura bitters. And that's what they use on basically everything. Tiki cocktails to old fashions to everything. Right. Yep. Um, But you can get crafty with it and, and make flavored bitters, just like you can make flavored sweet components, like a, uh, like a flavored simple syrup. And then some people even will take the spirit. You'll take vodka and they'll infuse it with pineapple or something. They'll leave it sit for right, a right. week in a vat with something. So like it, it there's a lot you can do with co- with what you put into cocktails for sure. Now, do you get into like pairing cocktails or pairing different alcohols with food where where you're at? And obviously, you said that you've kind of helped like set up menus and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh typically it's wine. Typically you're yeah. I'm doing wine pairing with meals as far as you know, what kind of wine to put with veal or steak or, uh, you know, light white fish or chicken. It, it varies. Um, it kind of takes some work to put into, too, because sometimes you will pair a wine with some type of meat or some type of meal. And then one day you'll try it with something else and you'll be like, whoa, this is <laughs> way, way better. So um, I worked at a place where we tried to do beer to pizza pairings, which is uh challenging um but cocktails is kind of its own thing i wouldn't pair a cocktail to a meal you could i mean you could get bold and try right creative and artistic about it but typically in a business you know an actual functioning restaurant setting it's going to be wine first okay dude you know know, i gotta ask you this dude Uh, you know obviously you got to this place at some point right like what what got you interested in working in the food industry where you was your family growing up like all about food was that kind of like the way that you guys bonded because that was what it was for me like you know we're all doing shit all throughout the day and then dinner time was a thing that my mom made sure we always had dinner every yep. single night basically right i don't know if that was oh, yeah. for you guys absolutely I, i'm lucky enough to be a gen xer in my mid-40s where i can remember uh, grandma and mom and aunt and aunt and daughters and cousins all in the kitchen together. It was a fucking team effort. And the guys were just watching football. Like I, I grew up in a very traditional, very religious, rural Lutheran Minnesota household. So, and it was a blessing to be able to experience that because so many people that in these, this day and age in our country do not get to experience that. Yeah. They have no concept of what that was like. And the sense of community and the sense of family being the cornerstone of your life is just so fragile. Now I'm lucky. I got to grow up in a world where that was big, big deal. Family That's good, man. dinner time around the dinner table together. Big deal. Yep. Little, little shit talking going on at the table. Oh, like hazing. That oh, that's how I got ready for being hazed in the military was the fucking <laughs> family kitchen table for sure. Yeah. Oh, grandma yeah. calling you an asshole and stuff like that. That's what I was going through. Dude, you know, for sure. It, are you are you italian uh what what's your i'm norwegian and german predominantly i'm a viking everyone in minnesota i i come from a very like my last name is i don't want to say it but my last name is a very traditional 
um, Norwegian. Like my last name is actually a town name in Norway. Like okay. I'm Viking and German blood predominantly. Yep. Okay. Interesting. So yep. yeah, it seems like, you know, were, were your grandparents or your parents first generation Americans? My, so my grandfather's father, Gilbert, he was the guy that came over on a boat from uh, Stiklestad region of Norway. And then my grandma's dad, get this, get a load of this story. His family put him on a boat when he was 14 years old. I actually talked about this in one of my earliest episodes. His mom and dad put him on a boat to the United States when he was 14 years old by himself because he thought that wherever he was going to land was going to be a better life than what was going on in Germany at the time. During World and, War II, right? Yeah. Uh, it might have been. No, that, that was it's probably before that. It might have been World War I era. Well, they hated it then too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, were, they were going through it back then. Yeah. That's what kind of you know started that whole thing. But that, but like that, that story that I was told about my great grandfather is just gives me chills, man. Mm. Like, how did he become a homesteader and survive? Who took him under their wing? What kind of hell did he have to live through by himself before he got to some type of stable situation? Like. People don't realize how bad people had it back in the day, man. Yeah. They have no concept. Yeah, dude, like fist fighting over jobs and shit. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it, it's tough stuff, oh, man. Yeah. So it's incredible to hear that story. And it, it's nice and it's refreshing to hear that, you know, more people have that because it's so rare, dude. It's so rare that there's like a family, like mom and dad, traditional family unit that brings up a kid. And yep. it's it's wild, man. So that's cool that you had that. That's something that you'll never forget. You know what I mean? So so that's dope. Now, yeah. what's what's the comfort food back then? This is the shit that I like getting into. What's the comfort food? Uh, so for my family, it was, um, you know, like uh, anything with sauerkraut and lutefisk. Right, dude. Okay. Um, uh, we made kringla. Kringla and lefse are traditional sweet pastries that are Scandinavian, predominantly Swedish, Norwegian. What are they? What are so the, it's, see if, so, so lefse, again, yeah so lefse is basically um butter and sugar on not a a, a not a tortilla but like a, a pastry similar to a tortilla it's like a little bit thicker than uh a tortilla i guess you could say and so then you lefse, roll okay. lefse l-e-f-s-a i believe lefse. is it this or oh, lefse, L- there you go that might okay. be it too I see your screen. Oh, yeah. So Norwegian lefse right there. Click on that one. Nice. That's, it does look uh, like a little dessert quesadilla. Yep. It's like hate. a little dessert. Yep. little dessert quesadilla. Sugar, butter. People put variations on that. Uh, Kringla, similar thing. It's kind of like a pastry wrapped in like an um, figure eight format. If you want to search that, it's K-R-I-N-G-L-A, I believe. Kringla. Kringla. Oh, there that we... looks like a nice little thing right there. And these yep, are so sweets. You... And these are sweet. Like, yep. Norwegians tend to have a sweet palate, my in my experience. Or and they really like salmon. Like they, they like lox, things with dill and salmon combined. Big Viking food. Oh yeah. <laughs> have you heard one of my favorite racial slurs of all time is for Norwegians and it's a reindeer fucker. Have you heard this before? <laughs> I think it's brilliant. <laughs> pretty good. That's pretty good. 
what reminded me of that is the uh the pine the evergreen tree right back here it's like christmas 24 7 right like that's oh yeah dude that's that's so funny though uh lewis black stand-up comedian has a hilarious bit about the vikings that came over and they're like they landed in uh south uh newfoundland southern ontario and like the northern (laughs) united states in a temperate climate uh temperate (laughs) climate and they said no Let's keep pushing west. <laughs> and then they settled in a place called Minnesota, where it's even colder than it was in Norway. And they said, ah, this is perfect. That's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> then, is is Minnesota a stronghold for Norwegian? Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd say uh, Norwegian, German, and Danish people dominate well, and Minnesota. Somalia, or are used to. And now, well, I was going to say, you that the traditional old school, that was the main uh, cultural backgrounds. Okay. And then, yes, nowadays there has been refugees that have been giving sanctuary here from uh, military actions that we have perpetrated in various countries around the world. And uh, as penance for that, in some weird way, we say we can bring your people here and you can live here. So, yeah. You know what's interesting, dude? Is I'm that, not like, for or against. I'm just saying that's the reality of what's happened. So yeah. I mean, I'm against it. You don't need to be uh, you know, you don't need to say all your uh, you know, more controversial thoughts here. You can you can share Fair what enough. you want. But okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think uh I think it's 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 you know, it's a shame, man. It, and you know, you see this, you talk Changes about Germany. the game. Changes the game. It absolutely does. You talk about Germany and, and these places, right? These Scandinavian areas, they're being like just thrashed with immigrants and 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 you know migrants from different areas mostly the middle east and you see this going on there and it's interesting mm-hmm. that they bring these same demographics over to the same state minnesota and then the same immigrants that they're tired of not my words theirs like mm-hmm. I, I there's a german food truck that serves some great bratwurst that's like right down the street from my house and For sure we were kind of talking to them and, and, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, people know how I am. I can, you know, kind of get shit out of people. I can talk with people and get sure. to kind of expose their. Oh yeah. Thoughts. You have a gift, my friend. I've been listening to you for a long time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank oh, you. Yeah. I appreciate that for sure. So, you know, it's interesting talking with somebody that owns a business and they just opened up their, their, to their, you know, deeper feelings about man like germany sucks now like it used to be a beautiful mm. country i mean you can tell talking with these people that germany is their german i'm sorry is their first language um they hate the immigrants that come into that country right and those same people are being you know shipped out to minnesota because you know that there's some plan for this thing right oh, so the people sure. that they're leaving the germans it's are visible trying to leave. it's visible yep it, it's nuts. So and then the and then this whole thing is just following them. And it's like got this ripple effect where it starts off in Europe and they're really shitting on Europe right now. And now that's coming over here. Obviously, I, I know that you pay attention to politics. It's in the name of your damn show, right? For like, sure. This is this is an interesting situation that's going on here. Um, but I've pulled up here Norwegian cuisine and uh <laughs> I, I'm we sure are that- weaving serious into fun and food. So well on this episode, my friend. This is good. I like I this mean, episode, I, buddy. You know, I, I love food. You know what I mean. We, I, we, I, we are we are we have a diverse range of possible conversation topics. America, listen to our of, shows. It, my show when I do this, it's kind of like the ramblings of a madman. I'll go in from <laughs> me uh, too. Same thing. 
<laughs> For I'll sure. go from one thing to another flawlessly, and none of it makes sense, but somehow <laughs> it all works. Uh, have you heard of this Farrakhal? Ooh. Um, Looks like it's we're getting into already. the yeah. This is I I've heard of it, but this Let's is do. this is deep. This is deep cuisine. <laughs> like this is shit that is from ancestors I never knew. Right okay. Here. Yeah, I mean, it's got, like, bones in it and shit, it looks like. It's wild. Yeah. Um, I'm just fascinated with this. I know oh, that you pickled herring. herring. Pickled, pickled herring is common. I've had pickled herring before. Now, how is it, honestly? It's tough. Uh, you have to get past fermented fish. And it's the same Ooh. thing with lutefisk. You should look up lutefisk. The most disgusting food ever in the world, uh, but is very popular amongst the Minnesotan Norwegians. Lutefisk. L U T. There it is. Lutefisk popped right up for me. Just, just read that for our listeners. Just read. Okay. Read what I mean, uh, is. lutefisk is a dried white fish. Usually, cod is used. Cod is a uh, a garbage fish, actually grown in prisons. I don't know if you know that. Uh, <laughs> similar to tilapia. Usually, mm-hmm. cod is used, but ling and burbot are also used. It's made from aged stockfish or air dried whitefish or dried and salted cod. Cured in lye. Stop oh right God. there. Stop right there. Cured in lye. Continue. Isn't that like what they put in soap? Yeah. And it can eat through your face. Yeah. Okay. Drano. Cured, yeah. Cured in lye. The fish adopts a gelatinous texture after being rehydrated for days prior to eating. So it's like a fish jello beef jerky. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever put in my mouth in my entire life. And people but, eat it like it's sardines up here. Very I mean, traditional. I, yep. And disgusting at the same time. You know, it looks <laughs> it looks beautiful, but I will say it looks I mean this this presentation that they have of the roasted potatoes. Oh, it looks boy. like some kind of guacamole. I know it's not that. Um <laughs> you know, and then like this this fish pudding. Uh, it's literally fish pudding. That's exactly what it is. Is that a good description? Oh, well, you should click on that video that said lutefisk. Go up a little bit. Lutefisk season. Have you tried lutefisk? You should click on that guy. Have you tried uh, the first one or the second one? The middle one. Lutefisk okay. season, where the tagline is lutefisk season. All right, I got to share my screen again, share my sound. Yeah, let's see what these people are talking about here because this is fucking here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> click on that guy. Let's see what this is all about. Would you ever is the tagline. Might be getting into some scary stuff here. They say patience is a virtue. Uh, ads. 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 Some things. Of course, dude. Sorry, listeners. We're going to push through the ad here. We'll I have up. YouTube premium, but this is clearly not on YouTube. So, you know, I don't know what this is on. Bing It says it's YouTube. This is Microsoft Bing. Oh, yeah. Here in our state, Lutefisk season. If you don't know what Lutefisk is, it is a dried white fish that is super popular in Nordic countries. And since Minnesota is home to many Scandinavians, it's also popular here, of course. In tonight's Finding Minnesota, John Lauritsen gets a tour of one of the last remaining Lutefisk processing plants in the country. How cool is that? They're busy time of the year. Uh, nonetheless, yeah, I thought that was the right? yeah. these of places course we left. sent you yeah. to do this story. Yeah. Yeah, this is well, Minneapolis news right here. Did you guys grow up with Lutefisk at all? Or? 
A little bit? No. Not a little bit. More of a left side. Yeah, yeah. Ludafisk. Uh, when you got round. I had, I had friends who ate this growing up for the holidays, but uh, I think my grandparents had it, but I never really tried it. What does it taste like? It, you know, honestly, that's the thing about this. It probably gets a little bit of a bad rap because just about anything with butter and bacon on it tastes pretty good. And that's what they did for us at Olson Fish Company. Okay. <laughs> so they put that on there and they baked it and it was actually really good. Huh. But when you go into the factory where this is being made, it's a distinct, you know, aroma, so to speak. It's fish. Uh-huh. It's fish. And it's come from the Arctic Circle, essentially. That's where they brought it in from. And it's dried up. Bottom feeding fish. Cod. And then they put it in water and then lie for several days. And then it's it's almost like a loaves and fishes type of thing where it goes from one pound of fish and then fluffs up and gets to be like eight pounds of fish. That's the problem for me. It's the gelatinous yeah. texture of that's, it that there is no way that is going to end up on my plate. That's a good point, Michael. 100%. We struggle with that. Yeah. But when we tried that, Dave, Dave Cheney and I, a photographer, I think he even said it's it's really pretty good when you do it like that. So we'll, we'll have more about that tonight at 10. And bring some back for us sometime, will you? All it needs we'll is a booth it. of the State Fair, and I think we're <laughs> He's trying so hard to sell it, he just fucking can't. Because everybody knows, dude. Everybody knows. It's terrible. It sounds rough, man. So that wasn't a oh, comfort boy. food. What, were your grandparents eating that shit? Uh, my grandfather was eating it. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever kind of get into it or did you just no, have to No, every time, time I tried it I almost threw up. So yeah. Every time, how many times did you try it? Probably 5 or 6 in my <laughs> lifetime. You got to really know that you don't like it, right? Yeah, well well it's tradi- it's traditional. So it's like like and I didn't want to be a bitch in front of my grandpa, you know what I mean? Like he was like the most solid guy I've ever known in my life. So right. it was like if grandpa said do it, I was like fuck I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's gonna roast you if you don't if you don't do it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's there was mad hazing for sure. Oh, it man. was from a place of love though, and we all knew that. It was of course fine. it is. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I I don't know if you no you weren't there. This was the last Monday Night Master Debaters that Matt hosted over there. Dude, people need to bring back bullying, man. People need to bring back the shit talking. Hundred percent. I don't like you if I can't poke fun of, at you. Right. And like I poke fun of all my friends, every single one of them. I poked fun of you a couple times in this conversation. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is, dude. And like you said, it doesn't come from a place of hate, dude. It comes from like, man, like I'm busting your balls because like, you know, I'm cool. Yeah. Either either big brother or little brothering somebody like that's what it is, dude. So, yeah, it's a shame that people can't deal with that. And you said it yourself, like, dude, you respect people that that give you shit and then you kind of want to give them shit too it's something it's it's like a rite of passage man it's like the last rite of passage that we have in this whatever if you want to call it a culture i don't know what this culture is but boy right i don't know where the shared values and principles are if that's supposed to be a part of what culture is defined as but yeah man it's uh it's not the same these days. These kids never, well, they'll never know. It's just sad, man. It's not. I want to be Debbie Downer, but it's just like, you know, I, I'm just, I feel lucky, man. I feel lucky that I grew up with like old school, traditional shit. I just, because, because like, so me and my buddy Sam Winchester from the According to Sam podcast, I talk about him all the time. Great dude. Show. Yeah. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. 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 You met Sam. We were on yeah. debaters before. He, he, he's one of these guys that like, when we started talking, I was just like, I just feel like we live the same life. We've, we've both been from religious down home, traditional families, completely different perspectives, but like the roots are the same. And that's why we connected so well in the beginning. And 
I was going to say something about something he said at some point, but I forgot where I was going. With that well, it, hopefully you can remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you, you know, because, you know, for where, people, what did you just know, say? Well, for people that don't know, dude, like Sam, Sam's a black dude, right? Like, or is yeah. he Eastern or he's a black dude? Oh, right? no, he's African-American. Oh, yeah. African. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. dude, this is the thing, man. Like Texan, the whole thing with like how the media tells us shit, you guys aren't supposed to be friends. This white dude wearing American themed sunglasses and talking oh, yeah. about how he grew up in a traditional family and all this shit. And then there's that's this kind of the deal. And that's why our dynamic works so well, because it just anyone that wants to bring that bullshit woke narrative to the table gets destroyed and owned immediately yes, when they, they hear me and Sam talk. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So me and Sam did the show called One Foot In, One Foot Out. And we talked about the the 90s to the early 2000s and actually the late 80s to the early 2000s was the zenith the pinnacle the best time to be alive in the history of the american empire and every ever since uh the turn of the millennium we've been on a downward spiral and we often talk about we are that gen x age group that has one foot in that old world where we remember senses of community and traditional values and the pecking order in a family and at the job and the hazing that was rooted in a place of love where nobody got sensitive about, Oh God, you're hurting me fucking feelings. And now we're with tech and then, you know, technology came and we, I, I grew up with Atari and first generation Nintendo and look where we are now. Like me and Sam talk about Walkman to fucking iPod. You know, we were just in the we were lucky enough to be alive in the best possible time ever to be an American. Yeah. And if you are in my age group and you don't feel that way, you fucking fucked up at life, in my now, humble opinion. Now, when you were you born? Up. When were you born? 78. 78. OK, I'm 44. About, I'm about to be 45 years old in July. Well, shit, you don't look it. You look very good for for uh, almost 40. What did you no. say? 45? 45 no kids dude that no makes kids. a big difference good for <laughs> and, you uh, and, and, I, and honestly my real dad um when i discovered that part of my life which that's another we're not getting into that in this episode but like i had my stepdad i had my biological dad obviously when i saw pictures of him at my age when he was in the navy in vietnam like i said i came from a long line of military guys my grandfather most solid dude i've ever known in my life world war ii veteran um lied to us about what he really did in world war ii for literally my entire mom and aunt's life he had four daughters never a son no was he on the german side yeah uh no he's my norwegian full-blood norwegian grandfather but he was in world war ii yeah gotcha gotcha okay um no but when i saw pictures of my biological father during his navy days in vietnam splitting fucking image dude like twins he looks exactly i look exactly like this dude exactly there's no question he's my father well it makes sense he came out of his ball sack right i mean yeah, like it, yeah. it does, i look a yeah. lot like my father and, as he, well. and he had a, and he had a young face at like 30 and i'm like i just got blessed with good genetics i guess i don't there you know go, dude. are you tall are you short what's what how, how let's let's get into the uh the the weight 511 Five level. There you go, dude. I'm almost six nothing, foot. You got nothing to complain about, dude. You you could tell people you're six feet. No one's gonna know the difference. True. Right? 
Uh, Because isn't that funny, dude? If you're on like dating profiles, there's like these fat whale girls that are like, I only date guys that are six feet or taller. And you're like, well, shit, you know, I'm I'm 5'11". But, you know, I I got a (laughs) lot of things. Get me into the feminism. Well, dude, I I want to talk about a lot of stuff here. (laughs) Um, There's so much to get into, dude. You mentioned, you know, being born, you said in the 70s, right? Late 70s, yep. Dude, I've been going down BG's, BG's and like Michael Jackson era. Yep. Right. Okay. So yeah, we <laughs> got to get into your your musical influences and stuff. I've been getting it for something that's very important to me and becoming more and more important. Like next to food is toys, like old toys. I just ordered and uh, they just arrived at my uh, shipping location. I get shit shipped outside of my house. Yeah. Uh, some of the old Desert Storm trading cards from the nineties. Uh-huh. They're they're sealed still. I mean, these things were cheaper than you'd imagine. Some of these fucking cards go for like eight thousand dollars, dude. Oh, like yeah. that. So yeah. I'm hoping to pull a George H.W. Bush card, <laughs> and I'm gonna fucking. Uh, you guys are never gonna hear from me again when I'm making that kind of cash. You know? No, I'm just kidding. But so I I started a vintage toy collection, dude. I don't know if you remember these. This is a nice little diorama. Oh, dude, we we just talked about this on uh, the tavern the other night, and I saw you posted about this. These are, you're in love with these, bro. And the they're badass, machines, dude. This is like a, a huge piece of toy history for sure. Nineteen toys are going away. Cool toys are going away. They're gone, dude. Yeah, they're already gone. It's you bad. know what I mean? Bad. And what what started that? There's a whole series on Netflix. And think Technology. about Netflix. Think, yeah, right. Yeah. Think about Netflix, what you will. But there's a series on Netflix that's all about, uh, you know, toy shops that have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. It's a tragedy, dude. I, you can't see it on here, but it says right on the back here, 1995, this thing was made. It's still in good condition. It still plays like, you know, I'm obviously not playing with it. It's on display, right? Like, it's not like something that I'm getting in there and fucking around with. But there, these kids today, they don't have that, right? They don't yeah. have oh, yeah. they don't have the basic toys. The, the coolest toy to me was this thing right here, this specific one. Now I'm working on getting the other ones. But this specific one was the coolest thing. And they're literally, the action figures are not even an inch tall. They don't move. There's Micro it's, machines, right? Yeah, micro machines. Yeah, tiny. It's I remember having the cars. Imagined. Dude, the cars were like not even an inch long. Right. Or, or maybe an inch long. Yeah. Well, yeah, the little uh, droid flyer thing and then the, one of the destroyers, they're about an inch tall, right? So there's no, there's no room for not having an imagination with a toy like that, right? And I feel like it kind of expands the kids' thought processes or processes, if that's the proper term. But now it's like almost AI toys. It's all stuff that's on the computer. It's on the phones. You know, you you got a loud kid. What what do most parents do? They give them a tablet. They give them a phone and tell them to shut up so that that mommy and daddy can enjoy dinner if mom and dad are still together, which nothing against parents out there that aren't together. I know times are different. It's fucking crazy. But. That's a big problem, man. This is stunting sure. kids' growth, like mentally, big time. Mm-hmm. So growing up in that era, dude, I want to Google some of these toys that you used to play with, dude. What kind of shit oh, were you into as a okay, kid? Okay, so I was the G.I. Joe guy. 70s G.I. I Joes? I was G.I. I was original Duke and Cobra Commander, uh, the Baroness. I was original run gi joe and i was i played with them my entire fucking childhood um transformers and mask were my runner-ups as far as toys 
mask are you talking about like jim carrey mask no mask like the transformer knockoff tv show brand okay that had similar vehicles that turned into like planes and oh my fire and missiles and shit yeah mask was like a whole thing that was similar to transformers but not quite did you know about this i did not i love trading cards there's gi joe trading cards 1987 Hasbro G.I. Joe trading cards. I heard about them, but I never had any of them. And God, I wish I did. This Snake Eyes card going for 2,500 bucks. Look at that shit, dude. Look at that shit. I mean, imagine having that. Would you even want to sell it for $2,500? I don't know, man. If I was in dire straits, maybe. But I'd probably hang on to that to see and watch the market. Like, is it going up? Is it going down? Can I make a fucking NFT out of it and make billions? (laughs) Ooh, there's Corporate Commander. That's my motherfucker right there. That's Dude. my man. That was my Incredible. man right there. Cobra Commander was my dude when I was a kid, man. Love that. Look what's dude. popping up. My computer knows me very well. What do we talk about? <laughs> we talked about the cards. We talked about the micro machines. They're right here on the pop-ups. Incredible. Some of the cheaper cards go for like, you know, 200 bucks. $99. Who's this guy here for 50? This is like one that I could afford. Look at that. 1986. Oh. oh incredible dude cobra dreadnought ripper oh shit that is oh oh, 86 i was like second grade (laughs) that's fucking awesome dude i didn't even know that they had these yeah i didn't even know about gi joe guys yet at that point i was young as shit wow let's see if uh gi joe trading cards is a thing and if they have like the whoops if they have the sealed versions uh it's all over a pack right now. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, boy. They're 200 bucks, dude. Wow. 1991. Oh, my God. A factory sealed box of these fucking things is going for $54. No way. Well, let's see. Holy shit. That's a blaster box or like a hobby box. Hold on. Is this? Cr- wow. Sealed box of G.I. Joe vintage trading cards. 36 packs of 12 cards. Holy shit, dude. Should I order this right now? I mean, might go up, dude. <laughs> you never know. Wow. I'm going to bookmark that shit for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, dude. man. I used to, dude, I used to make, uh, I remember literally take like in the wintertime, the snow banks in front of my house would be like a foot high. And I would drill all these like cavern cave holes in there. And I would make like these elaborate G.I. Joe scenes where like Duke and the good guys were fighting Cobra, the bad guys. Dude, I'd be out there for four or five hours a day. Kids don't get that anymore. Like I, I raised myself. My mom was like, here you go. My mom used to scream out. She used to walk outside and just yell, Andrew. And she knew I'd hear I'd hear it and I'd know it was time for dinner. I'd run home. That's my that was my what my childhood was like. Kids don't That's get that a- shit anymore. Right, dude. I remember I got in a lot of trouble because uh, one time I did not come home when the sun went down. Oh, yeah, so, that's your ass. I got in trouble, too. Yep. Dude, I might have to fucking <laughs> order these, Andrew. These are honestly. tight, dude. These are fucking badass. So there's boxes that go for 200 bucks, but for some reason, this dude is selling one for $54. There's one right there for 59 There's one right because here Because people don't know the market. That's Those are called unicorns. Those are the ones you should jump on. Because if you know the market and you know you can flip them for five times that, then why, why wouldn't you? 
I don't know, dude. I mean, like right now, I like like I said, I'm just like I I, I have an addictive personality. If people out there can't <laughs> tell, a very addictive personality. Like it's it's a it's a godsend that I never did like cocaine or heroin <laughs> or meth because I would have loved it. I, I the drug every single drug that I've ever tried, I've loved. I love alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't really love marijuana anymore because ever since I got in my car accident, it doesn't work on me the way that interesting. It, wow. Yeah, it really fucks with me. I get very very paranoid. But yeah, this is some dose. Yeah, this is something, dude. I'm gonna, uh, dude. If I order these, man, I, you know, we may have to do a little thing where I open these and uh, we can talk about each one of these because you might know these cards better than me. But I uh, think that the yeah, images, what? oh, yeah, they won't even give you the because you don't know it's like a mystery box, of course, it's sealed. That's what, and that's my favorite part about it. I open these garbage pail can card boxes. Just to get that old feeling of like opening because garbage pail kids were before my time. I was born in 91. Oh, see, I w- I lived during that. One of my one of my Christmas presents as a young child was Ricky, the garbage pail kid. I got Ricky, if anyone remembers that one. Curly haired. He kind of looks like the kid that was the kid in Bad Santa. He's got to be called Ricky something. Uh garbage. Let me see. Ricky Gar Garbage Pail Kid. I don't know if that was the name of the actual. Garbage pail kid. Something or if I Ricky just named it that. Yeah, it's usually something Ricky, like ridiculous Ricky. Ricky. Or... Where's this? Ron. This looks. This looks familiar. All oh, this. Sticky shit Ricky. Wow. Ooh, might have been Sticky Ricky. Looks like a little fly trap. Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah, Sticky dude. I love Ricky. these things. I used to have so many of these that I saved, like my favorite ones. Like I think. Uh, I remember listening to you talk about Garbage Pail Kids in that one episode, and then I remember posting the one with the military guy, and you and uh, uh, Brody Bruce were like, fuck yeah, dude, that's the one. <laughs> dude, they're so sick. Uh, I'm not going to lie right now, dude. I'm going to buy this. Dude, um, pick it pick it up. Let's see what's in there. I got to do it. I got to do it. <laughs> yep, let's go. Let's do it. You might have to X out your address there if you're airing this video. Uh, this is just to the Patreon people. I trust all these guys. Oh, okay, cool. Um, the well, the the audio goes out to everybody, but the, the yeah, video... they can't see all the stuff that we're seeing right now. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, dude. I might regret this big time, but boy, I gotta do it. I've been well, doing good pretty this, good betting. It's good that this personal information of yours is behind paywall. <laughs> it's just the last four digits of the credit <laughs> it's card, safe. right? It's safe. Yeah, yeah. You're safe. You're safe. Man, I am so stoked, dude. That's cool. I can't wait to... about that. We need to kind of, I feel like I want to see you open this box. We might have to do another show about this. Dude, I'm going to like, I do. I, I, <laughs> what I else hope can we I get... find? Oh, shit. Did you ever get into pro wrestling? I know me and Matt are both into pro wrestling. I mean, so, I, dude, I liked it as much as the 90s kid did, right? It was bigger in the yeah. 80s, I think. Like, it was really like, yeah, that was, was. The, the peak of it. Yeah, um, I grew up on Hulk Hogan and Andre, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man. Yep, old school. Let me show you really quick. I, I'm down to talk about some wrestling. The most epic set of trading cards. Because what kind of trading cards did you get into as a kid? So, so that's why that the reason why I the reason why I brought up pro wrestling is because I was lucky enough to have collected the old school Turner WCW trading cards that were rare yet everywhere during because this was during the 80s of like the tops don russ uh where baseball cards exploded and it tanked the value long term because everybody had 
the same cards. And that's why all the cards that came before the tops, Don Russ, all that, um, you know, the big eighties card printing printathon. Um, some of those cards are worth some money nowadays, but anyway, you get my point. These WCW cards were everywhere. And when I was a kid, I thought maybe it was just where I grew up in Minnesota, where pro wrestling is big up here in Minnesota. Um, but now those WCW cards are trading for some serious dollars, and I have a bunch of them. I have a bunch of them, dude. So I'm interested to know what what I got. You got them in an arm's reach? No, sadly they're in storage. But oh, see, man. this is what we could do. I can go break those out, and we do a show where we talk about the WCW cards, and then you open the GI Joe. Well, I'm box. opening my GI Joes. This is what I like, dude. Yes, let's do this. We'll drink a few beers and talk a. Tell a few lies, it. you know what I mean? I love it. I have to look, I have to look for those. I, I know I got them somewhere. I just have to figure out where they are. Dude, I'll give you a heads up because those should get here, you know, hopefully. I, I mean, I'm, dude, at this point, I'm hoping they get here tomorrow. They'll probably take care of it. <laughs> See, this is what this is my problem, dude. Like, when I start talking about toys, I just like, I'm like, I want to buy this shit. Luckily, these are out of my budget because these Mars Attacks cards oh, are shit. the shit. I, so what happened was these Mars Attacks cards came out. I mean, you can pull these up. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tell a little quick story about these real quick. Yeah. These were released one time. Only It seems like there was one run of these things. And the media and, and the parents and all these things got incredibly pissed off when they saw these cards were being sold to kids. These were back in the 60s. Okay. Oh shit! I saw Tops there. Tops is another card company from the '80s too, so there was card companies even earlier than that. '60s. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, this one here says the the card Cuban Missile Crisis. What the fuck, dude? It is insane. (laughs) Whoa! Check this out. Look. So if you look at these cards, the whole thing there's a checklist of all these cards that you can get. The first, it's like a chronological order of the movie Mars Attacks, and. You know, the first card is, you know, the invasion begins, right? And keep in mind, these are supposedly made in the 60s, right? So, and if I'm not mistaken, yeah, 19... Yeah, that's fucking cool. These cards... Dude, there's probably only, like, you know, maybe a 100 of each of these cards out there in existence today. Maybe. That's why this first card is worth $1,200, right? Now, you go through some of these, and you can kind of understand why parents were so upset about this shit. This is one of the cheaper ones I've seen, $275 attacking an army base and you've got like you know these are look how sweet that image is though that's such cool art like isn't it incredible dude like there's like there's this one who drew who's the artist on this like people would get tattoos of that that's so sick look at this these cow burning oh dude that one's 420 (laughs) dollars with a with a flying saucers above them like like horse apocalypse <laughs> this one is the the more one of the more disturbing ones here killing a dog it says uh destroying a dog look at that i mean uh, uh lasered it right through the gut look at that shit jesus but look incredible. is that the owner that's like no alien yeah yeah this is like the the, the kid little tommy or and look Billy at the two little craft in the background see the artist on this is fucking great whoever yeah. this is Wow. Yeah, these Mars Attacks cards. This is like my holy grail. Look at this. So you know how I just bought that box of, of G.I. Joe cards unopened? If I wanted to do the same for these fucking cards, 1,600 bones I'm having to throw Holy out here. shit. But, dude, imagine that, dude. One run. That's why. One run ever. That's why. And, Five and, cents bubblegum. Look at that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's Five just cents. like the garbage pail kids. You get the gum and the cards. Hey, America, do you remember when stuff cost a nickel for real? Right, 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 dude. It's it's nuts. Remember so the dime store? Holy shit. This is something that could be feasible. Over 24 months, you pay $76 uh, every, you know, every month for two years. If the internet goes out between now and the end of two years, you're getting a deal on this. I might actually have to look at that. That is, I mean, dude, imagine this. <laughs> That's imagine, so cool. Imagine if you had feeling. that, if you had that pack right there, that full like grocery store pack, that would be amazing. Yeah, the hobby. Box, how much man. fun would you have opening those? Oh, dude, imagine <laughs> smoking a blunt to the face and opening these things up, dude. Like for me, it'd be like drinking a drinking a big old bottle and open them. But I you mean, might want to do a little microdose, maybe a little bit bigger one of uh, some psilocybin for that. Right. Look at that one, watching from Mars. I mean, these are the coolest cards, hands down. But they're the, just the art is just frame. amazing. The art's amazing, and the controversy behind it is is next level. But um, yeah, that, yeah th- those are punk rock, dude. Okay, my for my listeners, the Mars Attack line of cards is punk rock shit. Look at that, God, one hundred percent. That's punk one. rock shit, in my opinion. This is number thirty three. Removing Ooh, the victims. Thirty three. <laughs> removing the victims. Yeah, there's 33 this whole... for those of you that know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Illuminati confirmed. Yes. Let's see. So they have this checklist of all these cards. And then I want to I, I do want to hear about the toys that you were into. Um, yeah. So here's the checklist of all the the cards that you can get in order. This was the final card was the checklist. See, 55. Oh, so cool. 55 cards in the set. In the that's important. Set. That's important, right? That's like the map. Yeah, so you so get each card. Collection. The idea is the kid checks off each box that they get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, just imagine owning a piece of history from 1962. Like That's that. bad. No wonder it's so expensive. Yeah, and, and limited print. Looks like you can buy a single pack here for four bucks. Um, Ooh, you should at least get a single pack, dude. Four dollars. I mean, I just spent fifty bucks on a fucking GI Joe thing, so I okay, might. Fair enough. That's fair you enough. know, I might, I might, dude. Honestly, Shit, yeah, I might buy this. <laughs> do it, dude. Do it because <laughs> yeah, you'll have the cool. Imagine you pull that first card. The the invasion begins. Um, <laughs> you know what I'd be down to do with somebody if if anyone's listening out there, I'm down to split the sixteen hundred for the the two months though. You got to pay for two months or two years, excuse me. Holy uh, shit. Really? 70 but imagine that 35 bucks for for two years you know that's not too bad so <laughs> 35 bucks a month like a payment plan yeah yeah layaway for a fucking box of cards i mean that's actually way more uh palatable i would for say sure. for yeah. sure because you wouldn't but even see is... i mean what don't, I, I mean i lose 35 bucks on subscriptions i forgot about every month for fuck's right sake. exactly dude see this is the thing man like if i was a millionaire mm-hmm my house is full of this shit. It's literally oh, yeah. full of. I got a I got a buddy. Shout out to my buddy Dave Hatfield, Seattle, uh, Washington. He's a big old school toy, uh, in its original bo- box collector guy. He would love this episode. You know what, uh, Andrew? I'm glad that we kind of double took on this. This is a remake in 2012. The the three dollar sixty eight one. This is not oh legit. Shit. See, there's no gum. This is I was going to say 368, something's off. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't add up, right? That makes sense. But yeah, dude, let's get into the things that you were into. So 
we went down a rabbit hole there and i'm down 50 yeah. bucks because of it it was badass we're gonna get some gi <laughs> joe cards buddy um, i'll have to buy okay. something I'll, I'll i'll match it with something equally as cool that we can talk about okay i'm down dude. Yeah, um down. okay so so like tell me something that we can look up here that you were into as a kid like uh wrestling figurines um so one of my favorite things as a kid were the transformers that you bought individually okay but you when you when you form them in a certain way together like there's like four or five of them that combined became a big super transformer and i think one of those was the dinosaur edition of transformers was it the legacy was it this no i don't know let's see see if you if you have if you can think of a way to word it yeah, there's like see. they were called something like um here scroll through that line. See if you can find a picture of the ones that when you put them all together, it made a bigger oh right there. What's that? We'll go oh. go back, go back. Um stop right there. Scroll down just a little bit. No, other way, sorry. Up. Oh, my bad. Uh right there. Combiner Optimus, 80s combiner optimus. See how oh. every part of See how every part of them is a different oh individual figure. So like all those come off of that Optimus and turn into actual car vehicles. You got the Dukes of Hazard as one arm. You got a boat of some kind, or maybe yeah, like no, that's, no, that's, that's the Ghostbusters. That's the Ghostbusters. Hearse. That's the Ghostmobile. Yeah. Wow. And then oh, then you got Back to the Future DeLorean on the left, and then that one I don't know what that is, but that's probably from something also. The green. Yep, that one. Maybe taxi or something. Who knows? But yeah, every one of those vehicles is from a TV show or a movie. <laughs> That's wild, dude. So you had this? No, I just remember it from when I was a kid. Like there was a bunch of Transformers that you would buy. And the per- the point of buying them was you could combine them into a super Transformer. Like that, whatever that is. This is great, too. This is like a little uh, cheaper version, probably. You get like a red, blue car, yellow car. See, the thing with Transformers, man, like I wasn't patient enough for these. Like, obviously, you know, growing up in the 80s or 90s, excuse me, um, not as patient. Like I'm I'm, yeah. uh, you know, I couldn't figure out how to put all these damn things together. And that was a big design flaw. Have you seen on Netflix? There's the show called The Toys That Made Us. No, but I should watch that. Wow. Yeah, you should watch it as soon as we're done here, dude, because they got. You know, believe it or not, one of the more fascinating episodes was the My Little Pony episode, dude. And I'm not one of these bronies, right? Like the dudes that (laughs) like the My Little Ponies. The way that these toy companies tried to figure out some cool toys for girls, because they're sitting there and these people are marketers, right? They're thinking, we're selling a shitload to boys, but what about all these girls that are out there that, you know, they're not interested in any of these G.I. Joes and these Star Wars and the fucking wrestling figures. They gave it a shot, things. though, with like My Little Pony and all that kind of stuff. Well, dude, that's what I'm saying is that the My yeah. Little Pony blew up, dude. Like they they mm. the the thought that went into that was nuts. And like the whole culture that went behind that, that and then also the Ninja Turtle episode that they had. Oh, Ninja Turtles was huge for sure. Dude, oh, yeah. It's it's literally huge. two dudes that seemed like they were like they didn't even seem like stoners they just seemed like nerds that drew up some turtles and struck gold with it dude an older guy and a younger guy that just started drawing comic books that's amazing. all in black wow. and white and it just took the fuck off man so that's so cool i remember uh waiting tables at uh yard house san diego back in the day during comic-con 
And uh, I saw this kid at my table and he was just like getting Diet Coke and he got a little lunch or whatever. But I saw him drawing and tracing in this book and I was like, holy shit, dude. I'm like, what is that? He's like, oh, I'm about to go pitch this. He was like a comic book creator guy. And I didn't know what it was, but I remember looking at literally it was it it was like it was it was thick. It was like maybe an inch thick of comic stories that this kid has written. And it was literally pen to paper. That's cool. And, like he would, he would just pen it. It wasn't, there was no color. It was like, this, this is what this kid did. I was like, holy shit. I can't believe I'm seeing something like that with my own eyes. Like it, it was clearly like the precursor to whatever it was going to become. Right. It was cool. Like th- it was a cool thing almost. to see. Yeah. Yeah. It was a cool thing to see. Yeah. But again, dude, going back to our point. It's so sad that there's talent out there like that, and it's never going to get recognized. There will never be another Ninja Turtles comic book. There will never be like these other things, because all the big comic books of those days are now like the Marvel series, right? Well, anything you... creative goes digital into a screen behind a screen now. I want right. to make an app. I want to make a game. I want. It's like not tangible, physical anymore. I don't know if you could see it if I turned my my screen without hopefully not unplugging anything, but there's a whole if you can get around all my nonsense. Oh, yeah. the, yep. the whole wallpaper right there is old comic books. I went to That's cool. Wow. I went I went I like the hanging toys too on the mic stand. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Those are garbage pelican uh, toys. <laughs> That's <YouTube>. awesome. <laughs> but so like those those for were from swap meets, right? And mm-hmm. these old comic book like masterpieces are selling for like you know 50 cents a dollar you know what i mean and i feel like these things and and this is why i cut them up you know i'm kind of stupid in in hindsight cutting them up and putting them as a wallpaper type thing but like they should be worth like 30 40 50 bucks each man these are legit pieces of history and they're never going to be duplicated like these things are are gone at this point that's crazy to think about like toys are really like people just don't kids just don't care anymore like fuck what happened god yeah, it's, it's weird, man. Well, and see, this is what's also interesting. Uh, and, you know, you know, I don't like to talk about too much conspiracy on this show, but this lays, I mean, it teases us up. The whole thing of removing the kids' innocence was sexualizing them and shit like that in school systems and whatnot. This is making them more interested in other things. They're more concerned about what gender they are versus playing with a cool toy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's fucking destroying. It's destroying the culture and it's destroying the kids' childhood and all these things. Um, yep. as crazy as it sounds, like getting rid of Toys R Us might have been that first brick, or that first, uh, you know, that first hit to the family, you know, the the childhood, right? Like it, it sounds a little out there, but then when you see what's happened since then, fucking. Do you makes remember, sense. I don't want to grow up. I'm yeah. a Toys R Us kid. Yeah, like, dude. Toys R Us. There's so many toys at Toys R Us that I could play with. Remember that shit? That's yeah. over over well you know the saddest thing ever was when toys r us went out of business the last tweet that they ever left it said i guess everyone out there has grown up you know we're we're going out of business you know what i mean damn that's that's prophetic and it was like a picture of jeffrey the fucking giraffe all sad it's like it dude you know as a fucking adult it almost made me cry seeing that man i was like damn you know it's a dark it's a dark day when kids uh when everyone's grown up you know what i mean um but like that I'm, makes I'm, me sad like are, are we are we forcing kids to grow up so much faster than they should be like that's yes that's sad that's but really then sad. but then dude you know what's funny is you you go back to Trauma. talking about talking about your grandfather yeah. how quick he had to grow up right 
oh, like man. 14 years old getting shipped over here why can't we find yeah. like that medium you know what i mean like these tough men have made nice times for us why do why do the weak men have to just fucking throw all that stuff away you know um it's oh, very guided sad. yeah guy they've had uh um uh, steering there's been steering of things uh unbeknownst to you in the moment but as soon as the generation passes, you can see it. Not to get into the conspiratorial shit, but that's what I would say to that is, you know, this is engineered. This is social engineering. Doesn't that make you sad right here? It is a sign outside of a of a shutdown Toys R Us. I guess everyone has grown up. There's no more Toys R Us kids. That is fucking awful. It's Ugh. depressing, dude. Damn. And then right here, what does it say? Play on. Uh, thanks to each of you who shared your amazing journey and through parenthood with us and to every grandparent, aunt, uncle, brother, and sister who's built a couch cushion rocket ship, makeup hero adventure, or invented something gooey. Promise us just this one thing. Don't ever grow up. Play on. You know what, it, you know what that does to me, dude? It's like the first step of the death of imagination on right. the road towards humans becoming dumbed down, robot, automaton fucking lemmings Ugh. yeah man Gross. some of the greatest memories I've, ha I've had dude even as a teenager going into toys rs you know what i mean like and, and i was early like probably really a preteen. i forget what year it went out of business but um dude imagine all the virgins though that got closeout deals on tons of toys dude like imagine <laughs> imagine having a little cash when toys r us going out of business dude but uh you're probably right about that yeah yeah man tough tough stuff but um yeah dude i don't know i mean i don't know if there's anything else you kind of want to talk about just to you know kind of shoot the shit but no um, this was fun yeah this was fun man it was uh i like shows like this too because for podcasters in general like when you can just change up the subject talk about personal fun stuff whatever and it's like it's not so formulaic or the same you know genre every single show so yeah man I love doing shit like this. We should do more of this. We definitely got to do a show where I find WCW cards. I might even have some old WWF before WWE cards. That's somewhere. dope. If you do I think have they're probably else. with the WCW cards. So we got to do a show like this again where you have received the G.I. Joe box in the mail. We do that. And then right. I show some Ric Flair and some you know, Hollywood Hogan cards or whatever the hell I got. Lex Luger cards, right? I'm sure Matt would be down to uh, join us. Oh, he's got to jump on. Me and him have been talking about doing a wrestling pod for a while because we're both such, you know, nerdy fans with wrestling. So, we yeah, um, we can do it together. I'm down. That'd be fun. Hell yeah. Before we go, dude, tell me like a, a, a really cool band story or two, like a, a old touring story. Like just one or two <laughs> if you got time. Uh, okay. What was I talking about on the... So you talked about how you were playing at a, a certain show and Kevin James was in the crown. Oh, that's what it was. No, no, it was uh, Kevin Smith. I'm sorry, uh, Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith Kevin from, James, uh, the fucking fat Clerks, comedian. Yeah, yeah, Clerks, yeah, yeah. Small rats, Bill My and mistake. Ted. Yeah. No, or not Bill and Ted. I knew uh, Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob. Silent Bob is Kevin Smith. I'm sorry. Right. That's what he's I mean. he's been so, very, very fat. Now he's very skinny, and you know, you never know what weight he's gonna be. Yeah, he yeah, he fluctuates. Um Oh, yeah. So I told that story about how uh, that was when, oh, I talked about John Weaver earlier in the show. Uh, my old band manager, John Weaver, when I was in the perils of being, 
We played uh, the gig on Melrose Avenue, L.A. Um, and I was poking fun at the band Disturbed a little bit on stage. And uh, I got a lashing from my band manager afterwards. Oh, you don't fucking do that in this town, blah, blah, blah. He was right. I was wrong. I was drunk. I was a dumbass, young, whatever. But uh, in that, that, I was telling the story on that show that uh, on the tavern that I remember looking out in the crowd and sure enough, Kevin Smith was in the crowd. So, I mean, probably not the type of person you want seeing you ripping on some other band that it's probably way bigger than your band. Way, way bigger than your band. <laughs> now, is there in a connection LA. between Kevin Smith and Disturbed? No, no, it's just it's just you don't want to be bad mouthing people in the same town doing the same thing, trying to get discovered, noticed. Like it's just bad juju. It's like bad etiquette. You know what I mean? Like I shouldn't have been just talking in my opinion. Or well, in my band manager opinion. Well, yeah, because rappers, I mean, they they make careers off that shit, having beefs and shit. Obviously, it's a different thing, but you know, right. it, it's gotten more mainstream than like rock music has, unfortunately, because I think that the talent is lacking in hip hop. Well, but so this, so let me, okay, I, I see what you're saying. So what I was trying to say, well, I guess a better way to understand it is the manager and the band have a conversation or two about the image you are going to present when you are in public. And, you know, it, it goes back to like, it's kind of like ESG and what's going on with, the, you know, the woke movement and the shit in the corporations now. It's like, if everyone starts playing ball, other people are like, oh, maybe we should play ball too. And then you're like, you know, it's like all about image and PR. It's not real. It's fake, complete b- bullshit, right? So that's why I shouldn't be talking shit about anybody on stage in the m- mind of my band manager at the time. Gotcha. Okay. okay. But in my mind, I thought I was doing a pretty good impression of the lead singer when I was like, I'm going to give it to me. We're going to get into some freaky shit now. You know, I was doing, you know, I was doing that kind of shit. So, you know, anyway, so that's one funny band story that I remember. I just remember a break my manager yelling at me i get back on stage i start the next song and i'm like oh kevin smith fuck <laughs> shit maybe my manager was right <laughs> who knows who's listening to my band right now you know that's hilarious so what, what are you kind of playing in the band like what, i was in lead this... singer in this band i was lead singer did you play an instrument as well or just uh, like solo singing I occasionally play guitar on certain songs but yeah mostly just singing okay um i wrote songs and play guitar i i, I mean i write and play all the time but in certain projects, um, I, I I didn't play guitar. I just sang. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, before we go, too, give me, like, the craziest, like, craziest experience. Like, whether oh, this is a stage, great story. Okay. Traveling. So, yep. Yep. So I was thinking about this. So we played the El Rey Theater in L.A. one time. We took a party bus with a keg on it from San Diego. Okay. to be like the Something entourage showing up. Oh, it was a blast. Here's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> How drunk people, 30 people are by the time they show up after a two-hour bus ride with a keg on it, and amongst other things, probably, of sure. course. Um, we were the second band. One of my favorite concert posters I have in my house is of Minnesota native Bob Dylan. Uh, doing his, I forget what the album release was, but he had it at the El Rey Theater. And so for, when I b- saw this, I had to buy it because I was like, Bob Dylan's from Minnesota and he's playing the El Rey. 
a stage that I have been on myself. So I was like, this is memorable for me. So I bought this print and I have it on my wall, Bob Dylan at the El Rey. Right. So anyway, so I, my band takes this group of people, 30 people wasted by the time we get there to the El Rey. We're the second band. We play shows. Great. It's awesome. I get off stage. I'm going out into the crowd to like me eat people and talk. Hey, you guys, someone's fighting outside. Will you come? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So we all go out there and it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to say any names, but probably two or three of our, like, you don't want to fuck around with these guys, friends that were on this bus. Right. Taking on like security, a couple randoms, cops got called. All of a sudden it becomes like a movie scene. There's like six fucking cops with flashes out in front of this uh, club. Everyone's getting out. So many people that were up with on the bus with us are getting kicked out. Uh, now, uh, the most sober among us are the ones that got nominated to talk to the police. And now you get to put all these people back on a bus back to San Diego. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I felt bad, but I was like, I didn't fucking do anything. I was, I was in the band. I was playing the show. But when I came out, I, like, I needed to talk to police officers and give statements and people went to jail and yet a bus full of my friends needed to go back to San Diego. So lesson learned bands. If you want to make a big impact on your big Hollywood debut at the cool club, maybe let people bring what they're going to bring on the bus. Don't offer and provide a keg of fucking beer. Sage wisdom. Damn. You don't want the cops to show up and mass i bet it was venue. so much fun though drinking a keg on the road whoever was on that bus had a great time for sure and we gave them like a shirt and a sticker and a cd that was part of the package price deal right and then you got to oh, go so you guys had like a like a vip package where people got to ride on the bus with you guys? oh yeah that, that's what we did so when we booked the show um it was in la at the time was kind of like a quid pro quo like you guarantee that you're going to bring this many people and we don't charge you to, it, it's not paid to play on our stage, basically uh, without representation, without management at the time. That's how it was. And this was before management or any of that shit came along. And even with management, it was basically the same deal. So we wanted to entice our vast group of college friends to come see our band in LA. So we were like, we'll give you a, you know, it was like 20, 25 bucks or something. And maybe it was more than that. I forget, but it was like t-shirt, CD, sticker, transportation to the show, get to see the show, transportation back. Mm. So, yep. And we yeah, didn't do that all the fun. time, obviously, but we did it for like the shows we wanted to blow up. Well, because... it's a great way to, to make a little extra cash, like with the VIP packages, it sounds like, right? Is yeah. that if I'm understanding it correctly? So, yeah. And, and well, and that was, and we were willing to foot that in order to make, like, oh, who's this band from San Diego bringing fucking 50 to 100 people to the show? Right, right, right. On, on a Thursday night, like, oh, we should pay attention to them. And that's how a lot of bands actually during that era got known in LA and got asked back, was doing shit like that for sure. I'm sure Blink 182. And Unwritten Law and all those San Diego OGs, Asian 51, all those bands uh, that came up during that era when Blink-182 got signed were doing the same shit. It's the Stranger idea of the big Six. entourage, right? Yep. Like that's what it is. Yep. And a lot of those guys were all, you know, they all were in high school together. Like, they're, 
Poway, California, San, a lot of people that are from living in this area know exactly what I'm talking about. The amount, the crop of musician talent that came out of Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitas, uh, that northern San Diego area, uh, upper middle class kids, they all started punk rock bands and they all got big. They all were doing big things. We had the Soma, Soma San Diego. I think there's a podcast out there about the venue by itself because of so much history that went through that place. And that was where I grew up. I grew up going to Soma every fucking weekend. Like I'm a part of that San Diego music culture and history. There's a lot of it. I recommend, I recommend people check it out. So now, many bands came out of San Diego. Now, where would you honestly, I, I know that you're probably a little biased, but where would you honestly rank that in comparison to like the Seattle grunge scene? Um, Similar yet unknown because the Seattle scene, in my opinion, was probably a little bit smaller. Like okay. there, like San Diego had, for every one Seattle band, there was five San Diego bands, and and, and so many of them were good. And it makes you could sense. See, it, and it you could see, sense. and there were so many venues that you could go see them out th- all over the county, San Diego County. There was you know, they had the epi- the the epicenter in North County, Belly Up Tavern. Everybody knows Belly Up in uh, Solana Beach, the world famous Casbah downtown. Uh, Kane's Bar and Grill back in its day, which is g- gone now. So many venues were a big deal, and they came and fell by the wayside. And um, I played so many of those San Diego venues back in my day. And me, you know, I met Pepper. I did shots with uh-huh. Kaleo from uh, from Pepper at Kane's Bar and Grill one night. I had no idea who he was. He was telling me about they just got signed to Volcom and they had like sponsorship. And then I turn around and they're <laughs> on stage with slightly stupid and fucking stick figure like every goddamn tour i'm like holy shit dude like that's like that's the crop like you were just out and about in san diego during those years you were gonna if you were playing shows at those venues you were gonna run into someone that went on to do big things yeah yeah you know that that seems to be the case with a lot of things that the talent that comes out of california no matter what you're looking at it's similar to New York, but I think it's different with New York because it's mostly culture. It's mostly comedy, acting, things like that. Right. But anything in, in California, you know, I used to race motorcycles and I was like, you know, top five in the state for my class. Oh, shit. I'd go to I California. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was fun. We had a blast doing it. But then go over to California, you know, Arizona to California, one state over. And I'm not even fucking qualifying for races out there, you know, because for me, as a as a kid that had like these you know aspirations to go pro, it was never realistic for me to go pro ever. But at an amateur level, I was performing pretty high here in Arizona. I've got to drive an hour to get to a single track, and I can practice three times a week because my dad works a full time job and he's my mechanic, he's my boss, he's everything oh, shit, with the yeah. whole thing. Yep. And then we go out to California. These kids got fucking five or ten tracks within a you know fifteen minute radius, so they get to go around experience different types of dirt, do all these different things. So you're right. The talent coming out of California and all walks of life is on another level. Now, you know, it's easy to hate on California and their politics. They're suck ass, as you know, mm-hmm. but but the art and the cultures and the music. So and a lot of that is think about how much it costs to own a home in California. Right. So you're talking about if you grew up in California, clearly your parents are in a very good financial situation, which leaves you the opportunity to pursue a, a, a creative passion at an early age with probably a little bit of funding. Same thing with snowboarding. Like like you said, every all those 
the, the you know the ta- the skateboarders the snowboarders the surfers like the culture of that in california is you know the best in the world go there to do that thing right same thing right. with music you know what i mean it's a whole Acting. lifestyle of like yep. the chill idea like let's just do what we want to do dude you know what i mean like that's just, like what it is let's just be creative and get high and enjoy life man that's right like california <laughs> it breeds some incredible stuff though man but uh yeah yeah dude no andrew i appreciate this man this was a fucking like i don't know why i haven't been doing this show for the last couple months dude like i I, this you were the right person to like bring the show back with uh this just felt like fuck yeah dude you know we don't talk enough man this was just like talking with a buddy for like two hours you know what i mean so uh awesome stuff i'm excited to to, uh open these gi joe cards i'll make sure i include you on in in on that man yeah let me know when you want to do that because i'll go find these cards and i'm sure anybody that likes wrestling if you feast your eyes on some of these cards I have, you're going to be like, dude, what do you want well, to sell it for? <laughs> let me tell you this. Find the cards ASAP, because as soon as these cards get in, I'm like I'll a kid right on away. Christmas when I get a box of cards. I want to open these fucking things like yesterday. You know what I, I mean? will. So, I'll do it soon. I'll do it yeah. tonight. Shit. Yeah. Well, if they're in your house, don't go out of your way. But like, you know, next time if you storage unit. A... I might have, at the worst. I got to go to store storage unit, but that's it. OK. Yeah. Pick them up. Uh, they're not going to get here until probably, you know, earliest they'll get here is friday probably but I, I doubt that they'll you know they'll take some time but man what a fun thing that'll be and uh man, man this that's... is fun i like this i like this kind of format too because it's like we're just you're just we're just rapping bros just rapping and we're not like focusing like it's fun to do focus shows and dive in research and do a topic but like this is fun stuff for podcasters and I, yeah i definitely i'll invite me back man i'd love doing shit like this with you man absolutely yeah it may not be as cool for the listeners maybe i think it would i think it is i think it really is but it's a podcaster's podcast exactly dude like every once in a while man like i've been talking about this dude and you know it's interesting there's this dude that was talking shit on my patreon and it really pissed me off and i was like dude just get the fuck out of here and then he like ups his contribution you know what i mean instead of getting out here so it's interesting how how Hmm. people how people are out there you you kind of wonder what makes people listen and what makes people uh you know yeah man tune into shows people and so that's interesting that you said that because i feel like there are a demographic of people out there where if they can it's kind of like hazing again like if they don't know you they're nobody in the world but you post something and they get on your comments and they do something or whatever and then you you find out that they're like every fucking episode listeners of your show and you're like oh okay you just want to fuck with me you're like you want to be friends, but you don't know how to like start a relationship. You don't know if I'll even answer you back. Right, right, right. And it's like they go to some people choose to go to extreme lengths. It's almost kind of like, and I'm not, don't take this the wrong way, anybody. It's not like stalking by any means, but like these celebrities that get stalked, I think that's what it is. It's like creepy obsession. And it's like, you know, um, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? right? And some people just don't have the, uh emotional capacity to know where to draw the line and they resort to behavior like trying to fuck with you or scare you to get your attention right it's interesting with high level celebrities a-listers and shit like that there's a money element taking a picture of them doing something unflattering or fucking you know maybe catching them in a vulnerable opportunity where like some fucking creep that can't even like potentially get like you know, Britney Spears, for example, Britney Spears isn't going to fuck some fat stalker, but maybe in the stalker's <laughs> mind, he's like, I might right. get a shot here. You know what I mean? So, That's... yeah, I get it, man. But uh, wild stuff. Yeah, dude, I, I thank you so much for doing this, man. Oh, yeah, Please for sure. Plug your for show. 
plug yeah. your work, plug anything that you want people to uh, know about. The audio is going out to everybody. The video is just for the wonderful people at Patreon here. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, politics and punk rock podcast dot com. Uh, I got some merch up there. Uh, click on episodes. You can go read the show notes uh, for a few episodes that I, I got nerdy with and just really data dumped a bunch of show notes. Other episodes I haven't got around to, but I want to complete. Um, so some of those are interesting to some people. Some, you know, it's no big deal, but you can get the gist of what my episodes are about in just the notes I put on each episode. Um, so yeah, politics and punk rock podcast.com, uh, or you can find me everywhere that you get your podcasts, uh, recently on iHeartRadio. I heard so, uh, and then, but for social media, I'm typically Andrew for America on all the social media platforms out there, except for Facebook. My Facebook page is the politics and punk rock podcast Facebook page. Uh, if you want to check out my personal music, soundcloud.com, Slash Andrew for America 1984 is where you can find all of my old bands music and my own original music. And then I'm trying to become a podcast or I'm sorry, a playlist curator on Spotify. Um, and so what I've been doing is I created the politics and punk rock podcast playlist where any of the bands I've ever played on my show are on that playlist uh, a lot of the OG punk rock bands that everybody loves are up there. My band's up there. My friends' bands are up there. Um, I think it's a top quality punk rock playlist. So, um, and it would be cool if people liked and followed that because if I can get to, I think it's a thousand follows and likes, um, I can become a curator, which means I can really push bands at that point. So it's mutually beneficial. You get me to a era, uh, to a level where I really can promote to a vast audience it's only going to benefit your band. So, and if you are a band listening to this that wants some exposure, you're a punk rock band, you're a ska band, you're trying to get some uh, notoriety. I don't have the biggest audience in the world, but I always like to put that out there. Email Andrew for America, 1984 at gmail.com and submit your music, bio lyrics, whatever you want me to push for you. And you never know. You may just become a featured artist on the politics and punk rock podcast Ooh, because you guys play music over there too i do two three songs pretty much every episode uh i like to promote uh i got my buddy's band uh uh the great company coming up on my next episode and he was in asian 51 that og punk rock san diego band i was telling you about uh so i'm gonna play one of their old songs too so comes full circle even even old i just played jughead's revenge uh much the same another big punk rock band i just got uh uh, permission to play a couple more big names i'm not going to talk about yet so yeah things are going well man so. awesome awesome and uh hopefully i'm not fucking this up but it, it, in the andrew for america it's f-o-r correct yep just not the number cool. not the number not the number okay. the reason why i did that is because sam is according to the number two sam and and <laughs> we be 24 are dude 24 hours yeah so i can't be andrew number four america because then he's just gonna be like uh dude done already done that <laughs> Yeah, man, so, I, yeah. I'll, I'll post all these links in uh, in the show notes. And yeah, hopefully some people will look into your work that haven't known about it yet. And um, yeah, man, this was what a fun, fun chat this was, dude. So thank I you so much. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the ask, man. It's great to chat with you. Always. I appreciate you uh, introducing me to these G.I. Joe cards un- unknowingly. <laughs> I mean, you just introduced me to a new obsession. So thank you. But yeah, sure. uh, yeah guys, until next time, you know, you know where to find me. 
and uh the people viewing this uh you guys are all you know contributing members to the patreon that means the world to me and support the shows that you guys like out there whether it's you know podcasters musicians anyone that's like you know out there hustling trying to get uh, an art going support those people man it's tough stuff you know especially if we got full-time jobs we do this uh mostly for ourselves i'm not gonna sit here and act like you know, I do this oh, for yeah. everybody, but, you know, we're doing this because we're chasing a dream and, uh, you know, the, the support of people that enjoy it means the world to all of us. So thank you so much, guys. And until next time, everybody, we'll see you soon. All right, people, I hope you enjoyed that chat. Boy, did I uh, catch a little buzz halfway through there? <laughs> I got a little uh, uh, boisterous and ridiculous. Um and because of that, I need to make a few corrections. Not that it matters that much to anybody, but just in the spirit of accuracy and honesty. Uh, my great-grandfather, Gilbert, was not the one that came over on the boat. It was two generations before him. I had to look it up just to make sure. And my great-grandfather that came over from Germany on the boat might have been a great-great-grandfather, um, if I'm not mistaken. So just wanted to make that correction. Um what else did I want to touch on? Oh, the sweet, bitter, acid base thing. I think Ryan said there was a citrus in his cocktail, and he asked me, or in the flavor profile, and he asked me what uh, what I was missing, and I said acid, but the acid was already in there because he had lime juice, I think. Anyway, I'm nitpicking at this point. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, happy Father's Day again to all the fathers out there. And... Um, Ladies, I love you. Take care of those good men out there. Uh, stop creating shitty men. For every man that you destroy and leave in your wake, broken, bitter, possibly suicidal, uh, someone's going to have to date that guy after you. And <laughs> uh, granted, it is his um, responsibility to fix what is broken and rise anew, the phoenix rising from the ashes, forged in the fire, you know what I'm saying? But try, try to keep the faith, people. Um, we need community. We need connection. We need cooperation. Or else we're going nowhere as a nation. Thank you guys for listening. I love you guys so much. That's the show. Uh, be looking for Reality Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics Part 8, TikTok, TikTok. That's coming out a couple days after this show drops. And then I'm going to go hike Yosemite, Bass Lake, California. If you're out there, hit me up. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Good night. No punk rock today because this is getting long as shit. We'll see you next time. This has been... Episode 146 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Entitled, Appearance on the Dangerous World Podcast. Conspiracy Break Room Number 15. We'll see you next time. This is just a piece for the men. This is called Teach a Boy to Cry.
People think the deconstruction of a man is some loud, violent occurrence, this outpour of bitterness towards the world, and in reality, the deconstruction of a man is a silent film, a common surgical procedure that the world didn't know it was trained to do. The breaking of a boy is the world's quietest natural disaster. As a man, there is no such thing as being stuck between a rock and a hard place. You either use the stones at rock bottom to build a way out or you get buried by them. Ain't nobody coming to save you. The entire world is trying to construct you into its perfect little image and the people around you are the ones who fuel the process of your manufactured masculinity some of us are going to make it through assembly but we need to watch out for our defective counterparts because the whole world is going to use their flaws to define all of us luckily most defective product is aware of its own shortcomings and tends to destroy itself given enough time alone with its imperfections this abridged explanation of the process is how you become a man or a monster. Everybody knows what a monster does. Everybody judges the monster. Nobody questions its creator. Some of us are manufactured to make light of our peril, with jokes, if you will. Male comedians are magicians in this way, how they take their pain and airbrush it into something laughable. He, he, ha, ha, joke about a failed suicide. The crowd laughs, the curtains close, the comedian drinks all the way home. A man's tears are just funny that way, how they have to be translated to be accepted, how they have to be be transcribed into an art form to be worthy of observation, how you have to how you have to bleed artistically to become a worthy topic of conversation. Funny how we can joke about a man's misery, but nobody taught the boy to cry. But they taught him how to fight. Nobody tucked him in at night so he doesn't sleep at night. Nobody offers protection to the protectors. Nobody provides, nobody provides the providers with provisions. Nobody looks after the overseer. Nobody has ever tried to guide the man who steers. Everybody judges the weak men. Nobody checks on the strong ones. Only other men know how subtle a difference before the transition. Nobody taught the boy to cry so he would do it at all the wrong times. In the barber chair, getting caskets sharp, remembering the funeral of a failed relationship in the grocery aisle, breaking down because he's weighed down by the tears collecting in his baggage at a soccer game, remembering what it was like to be a boy running towards a goal. Most men, most men will only experience unconditional love from their mothers, and some of us don't even get that. Most of us have never even felt appreciation or respect without conditions or hidden intentions. We don't know what it sounds like to hear, I see you and I'm proud of you, I'm glad you're here. You really make a difference, yet the expectation is to constantly be displaying the strength and love that the world is hesitant in conveying. We're expected to have a thick skin but get judged if it turns to a hard shell. The first step in being a man is ignoring the hunger, cause yes boy you gonna be starving. Starved of attention, starved of affirmation, starved of love, starved of being told that you are enough. Step two in being a man is comfortability with replaceability. You are only as good as you are useful. You are only as valuable as you are needed by others. Should there ever come a day, boy, where you fail to provide everybody with a smiling face, then do not be surprised when they say all men do is take up space and you are swiftly replaced. Step three in being a man is overcoming your fear of the fire because almost everything you will ever try to build will go up in flames relationships careers hobbies and yes you are always to blame step four and being a man is understanding that by the time you finally get all the right answers these questions will have already changed <laughs> you might achieve the strength of herculean fiction trying to balance the weight of all these contradictions be a man they say definition unknown description keep changing we men so empty so irritable so this so that we get told 
what we are so much, we've accepted that who we are ain't even up to us. The blame is always on us regardless. One guilty man's actions requires an innocent man's explanation. Otherwise, you're all guilty by gender association. There are four times as many male suicidal ideation because it's been hammered in our head that we're falling short of our societal expectations. Imagine being in a world of hurt for a hundred different reasons during a nationwide emasculation season. There is a unique brand of sadness that follows being hated without reason. It ain't no secret why over 30% of us have attempted to stop breathing. Nobody even mentions the men who have succeeded. As the saying goes, every failure is one step closer to a successful attempt. There is no such thing as an attempted suicide. A man's soul dies long before his body has a chance to realize. A man with an old soul is just a boy who contemplated going ghost. For every woman that suffers the same fate, four men will follow her to the grave. And I try to hide the stats from the poet because he might romanticize them. He might mistake this tragedy for a love story. He might write a poem in place for the suicide notes that were never left behind because nobody taught him otherwise. So who's going to teach these boys to cry while they're still alive? A man with nothing to lose will view everything as something to take. A child that isn't embraced by the village will burn the village down. And he will stare as everything that didn't love him back contorts and cracks. He will ease his way into the fire until he finally feels some warmth.